Liam Neeson takes flight, Daniel Day-Lewis goes to jail, and Mel Gibson has a passion this week on 30-20-10. Hello everyone, welcome to 30-20-10, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine. Taking a look at the pop culture world 30, 20, and 10 years ago. It's a little tiny time machine you can eat with your ears, and we'll tell you about all the dope anniversaries and milestones of some of our favorite movies, TV, music, and more. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Santista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, Havana Nights. <laughs> we just bought it and renamed it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm J.R. Rawls, and... I'm shocked that we have two movies this week that kill off the same main character. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, okay, good, good. Spoilers! Through line, but a through line. <laughs> uh, welcome to the show. Well, this week we'll be talking about February 23rd to the 29th. Uh, and thank you once again to our patrons at patreon.com slash laser time. Support the things you like, people. It's that kind of world. Five bucks is all we ask. Hundreds of podcasts. Let's move on. Uh, 30, 20, 10. February 23rd to the 29th. A lot to talk about this episode, including in the news from 30 years ago, or beginning, beginning, beginning as we always do in 1994, 23rd of February through the 29th. Uh, what do we got? Percussive Review Stomp opens in the Orpheum Theater in New York City. It runs for almost 12,000 performances. I Wow, I remember this coming way later. Or was it? did it get bumped well, up to it, Broadway? It toured. I okay. didn't see it in New York. I saw it at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C., and... The first 30 minutes blew me away, where I was just like, this is amazing. And after that, I was just like, wow, uh, I don't think you have enough material <laughs> for me. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. Like, this is amazing for a little bit, uh, two hours <laughs> and an intermission. Nah, I don't know. I, yeah, I'd never, I've never seen it, but my curiosity was like at an all-time low. Nor did I have the option, by the way. Definitely didn't. Uh, this yeah. is the year I see my first Broadway play in just a few oh. months, and it wasn't. Oh, see, this uh, is peak JR Broadway time. That's yeah. why I'm throwing in so many, because I, I took uh, two trips to New York in the same uh, calendar year, mm -hmm. and I just was a total theater geek and saw every Broadway show I could see. Oh, I was traumatized. We got tickets in Times Square, and I'm 14, and my parent I had to sit away from my family in cats so i was in the second <laughs> row yeah. aisle like what is cats and then like i could just make out the lining of all your genitalia as you thrust it into my face like that homer gif <laughs> at cirque du soleil uh <laughs> this is horrifying anyway 1994 stomp uh also oh look at that a revival of the musical damn yankee starring bb newworth and victor garber later replaced by jerry lewis uh opens at the marquee theater in New York runs 510 performances. Yeah. I love how B.B. Newark just became Gwen Verdon and we didn't even notice. She's just doing all of, all the old Fosse numbers. And I, I heard Jerry Lewis was fantastic. She's playing the devil. He was. He is the <laughs> perfect devil. Again, saw this uh, at, when it was running. And yeah, I, was, I did not know who Jerry uh, Lewis was at the time. Wow, um, so you got to see one of the most famous old people in the universe. I meant to say mm -hmm. famous for the longest period of time, like 70 years, Yeah, and you didn't even yeah. know. Yeah. 
Nope, but I was like, that was a good devil. So, like, I just remember driving through South Florida in this time, and damn Yankees would be in a lot of billboards, and it would tickle me because I could see a curse word in public. Did it tour? Why only 500 performances? Probably Jerry Lewis. I'm sure it went out on tour. There's usually anything on Broadway ends up with, like, a touring version with a different cast, or sometimes the same cast, usually a different cast, though. But Except Groundhog Day the musical, which I so wanted to see, and it's never toured, and I've kicked myself that I didn't get to see that on Broadway, because I'm world's biggest Groundhog Day fan. Ooh, who now, knows if... You're going to be really sad at the end of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, the Brady Law, 30 years ago, imposed a wait period to buy handguns in the U.S. It comes into effect this week. And is later not renewed. Nope. Nope. It wasn't. No, it's all it took was uh, the White House press secretary getting shot in the fucking head mm-hmm. and surviving and saying, like, could we maybe, like, make it a little bit harder for crazy people to get a concealable weapon? Is that too much to ask? Yes. That yeah. was too much to ask. We got it for a little bit and then it went away. Because every statistic shows, hey, this cut gun violence everywhere. This worked. And there's a mighty gun lobby out there to make sure it wasn't renewed and people barely noticed. Yeah. There's some parts of it that are still in effect that are permanent, mm-hmm. um, but it's kind of state by state, as but usual. So let's let the states decide. Yeah. We know it has a magnetic border that keeps the guns there all mm. the time. You can't travel to another state with a gun. Are you crazy? Uh, anyway, speaking yeah. of silly laws, don't ask, don't tell goes in effect in the the military, and it's in effect until 2011. I just love that it's a law that's just hand over your ears. La 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 la. <laughs> Can't hear your right. gayness. La la la. I, I know it's bad to the modern day, but this was an improvement, believe it, it or not. Anything you know, would have been was the old policy yeah. was you'll just be kicked out. Yeah, that was the old policy, mm-hmm. and now it's just like. Just keep it to yourself and it's fine. And that's not great. I'm not going to say that's great, but it's better than what came before it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's a step, but it is still technically illegal to be gay in the military. And because of that, some people would, you know, be blackmailed and abused Mm -hmm. and bad things would happen. And or they'd be a great officer, but they'd have to leave because of getting a boyfriend. It's yeah. It's, it's also stupid, but this was a step in the right direction of basically, yeah, if I don't see it, it's fine. Yeah. All yeah. right. No kissing each other, or, you know, during rifle practice. We used to see this in our world. This is something called compromise. Nobody's yeah. happy, but it's progress. <laughs> Yeah. Progress nonetheless. Uh, speaking of which, that's a terrible transition in the movies of 1994 because you can't talk about progress without the ending of Ace Ventura Pet Detective and it's still number one at the box office. <laughs> uh, this, yeah, after a, a very a surprise, seriously, a very cheap who who the thunk movie that launches Jim Carrey. It's num- been number one for four weeks now. Incredible. Three. I think it bounced last week and it's back now. Okay. Yeah. Incredible for a very small comedy starring like this fifth build person on In Living Color. Yeah. It's going to be in the top 10 for months. It's kind of nuts. And then, but um, all right, we got some fern movies we need to knock out though. Night Let's Watch. Some... God damn. How many movies can be called Night Watch? Well, there's an American remake of this a couple years later, directed by the same guy. It's another one of those. God, it, I hate those. You and McGregor I hate one? those. I hate those. But this is the one with uh, Nikolai Kolsterwaldau. It's a Danish movie. So, uh, yeah, you want to see 
Jamie Lannister is a 23-year-old? Yes. He's just a baby. Oh, He's man. He's just a baby. He's got to be handsome, mate. Fuck. He is a very I, handsome he's baby. He's 50? Jesus. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's about a, a guy who gets a night watch job at, like, a spooky place, and spooky things happen. <laughs> it's pretty good. That's I mean, his reputation is that, no, it's pretty solid. And um, I decided to only watch one movie that I should have, and a Three Colors took a hit. Um, didn't do that yeah. one. Three Colors. Yeah. This is the first of the Three Color movies I have ever watched. Wow. Okay. So Three Colors White. Because we talked Sorry, about Blue white. already, and we have Red coming up. The uh, Yeah, the, the trilogy based on the ideals of the French flag because why not? Made by a Polish guy. Of course. Um, this is kind of the comedy one, though. Like, dark comedy. Yeah. Because they all this take is the jobs. comedy one? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Wow. I uh, I may have taken it the wrong way because it, it's uh, it's something all right. I'm, I'm not sure if the Colors trilogy is for me, if this is the lighthearted one. Because this this goes dark at times. It's very it, serious. It's yeah. it's heady. Yeah. Well, it's about a guy who keeps losing everything <laughs> over and over and over. He's just constantly kicked in the dick by fate and his ex-wife and society and everything. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I I think well, Brad Weber uh, called it an anti-comedy, which is I see that, a, a yeah. serious Frenchman. Yeah. 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 <laughs> The the protagonist does put himself in a suitcase to try to save on airfare. Hell yeah! And <laughs> listeners, no, 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 bad Chris. Bad. No, I want, uh, dear listener, never do that. People try that and they die. I'm gonna yeah. ship myself in a mattress underneath a Greyhound bus. It'll be twenty dollars, and I'll see you soon. Uh, <laughs> nope, nope. That's how you get carbon monoxide poisoning and die. Can't happen to me. Yeah, that's happened a bunch of times. Yes. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, dark, dark film. Uh, near the end, uh, a guy wants the protagonist to shoot him, and the protagonist does shoot him with a blank and says, that one was a blank. The next one will be real. Are you what? sure you want me to shoot you? And he says, you know what? Now I don't. <laughs> um, yeah, I already wet him. So, yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I I, I uh, really like I really like Krzysztof Kieślowski as a as a filmmaker. His decalogue is freaking amazing. Um, it's been a long time since I watched this one, but I just remember just being like, "Oh no, now what?" <laughs> <laughs> just pretty much, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, a serious, a serious homme, an homme sérieux. It's a French serious man with more getting kicked in the dick somehow. Mm. And the next yeah. one, I I, 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 I have to recommend this trilogy. I think they're great, but yeah, I just I didn't want your to start mileage with... may vary. Uh, I finally saw the next movie for the first time, which Yay! I thought I had seen. Um, maybe I did because it's once again it's one of those movies from thirty years ago you've seen pieces of in like forty different movies, but it's kind of important when this is made and that it's made now and I thought it was fucking great Emma Thompson Pete Postlethwaite and DDL Daniel Day-Lewis in In the Name of the Father I'm of peace love outrage I didn't do this what are you trying to do to me they took away his freedom this is your home for the rest of your life but they couldn't kill his spirit I'm an innocent man 
Academy Award winners Daniel Day-Lewis and Emma Thompson in the name of the Father, Rated R. Now playing in select areas. Yeah, and <laughs> Bono actually wrote a new song for the soundtrack, didn't he? He did, actually. Oh, I didn't even... I somehow forgot about that when we can go out with that. It's a, it's a very good song. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the, the story of uh, intentionally wrongly accused. Uh, no accident here. Uh, Irishman in England charged with, uh, along with uh, the Guildford Four. The, yeah, the Guildford Four. There, uh, a bar outside of London that was frequented by uh, British Army folks. A couple bombs go off, kill five people. And they're just like, well, who's Irish around here that mm-hmm. might have done it? In the 70s they, during the Troubles, we should say. Yeah, it's early early 70s. They grab, you know, basically, it's, you know, lazy hippie folks and uh, the railroad them, railroad their entire fucking families. Uh, like his aunts, his whole aunt's whole family, the 14-year-old, everyone goes to jail. That And that's, that's the most... And apparently there's historical inaccuracies in the movie. I, I don't know if this has anything to do with them, but like... One, I haven't seen in a movie a coerced confession sequence this long. And it yeah. really gives you a background on how people can give themselves up. Just like, just let me go. Take the gun out of my mouth. Stop beating me up. I don't have any money. I didn't do anything. I couldn't afford a lawyer if I wanted one. Uh, how do you how do you it, confess to something you definitely did not do? But how did that be- how did this benefit their case? The people are st- who did it are still out there. They know this guy probably didn't do it. Uh, this this is like less than a Band-Aid on the, the problems you have facing you as a police force. Why go to this extent to frame these people? Sorry, I'm still, still yeah. scathing after watching it. Yeah, it, it, it's so, just so fucking annoying. But I, I just, I love this movie because there is so many, there, it's so many different movies yes. all at once. But because it's like, first it is... Uh, it's a movie about what it's like to just be a slacker in the troubles and what's the, the IRAs over here, the, the British are over here. It opens pretty early with an amazing scene of how, how can one guy dicking around turn into a riot? Incredible. <laughs> it's an incredible scene set to Voodoo Child No Return by Jimi Hendrix, one of my favorite songs of all time. It is so, so good. And then they're like, you need to just fuck off to England. But like, you can't get a job. People are you know, like, ah, fuck off home, Patty. And so he just hangs out with some dumb hippies, and he's he's a fucking dirtbag. He's just a dumb dirtbag. And then we get the coerced confession parts, and then we get the prison where he's locked up with his dad. <laughs> and they have some issues, and it is done so, so well. I mean, this is a movie that gave us Pete Pothel's weight in, in American cinema. Okay. And he he's so, so good. I'm just like... You don't want to have big crying scenes of you never love me. It's just like the slowly getting to know each other as people. Yeah. And then we get a courtroom drama at the end. It's so much fun. And then everything. That's one of my favorite parts of the movie, like a a father and son sent to prison for something they didn't do for life. And the son's just like, I'm just resound to living this life. So he starts like, this is what my life now. I'm going to get used to prison and enjoy myself. And the dad's like, you're still innocent. Don't give up on that don't be a worse person while you're in here. I thought that was incredibly interesting. And even though allegedly they were, well, not allegedly, they were always in separate prisons <laughs> intentionally. <laughs> and I, yeah, I, I, it's, it's definitely through a w- bit of white privilege lens here that like, you don't see a story like this 
with native English speakers during a time I was alive. You know, this, this is not something that doesn't still happen. It's just, it makes it's all the more strange to look upon because just, yeah, that this, I'm always baffled. This, this was still going on when I was alive and these people were still in prison for 15 years. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's just, yeah, all the legal shenanigans of, Oh shit, we railroaded those guys. Uh, but the real guys were already in prison. So they're like, well, let's just pretend that we didn't find and confess to the police that they did it. And they refused to bring that up, bring that to light. Cause Yeah. 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 It's it's rough, man. It's but for a movie that sounds like this is about the darkest shit ever, it I, it really isn't. No, I it's mean, not. This is not. This is not a slog. This this stays interesting and entertaining every bit of the way. And of course, you know the stories of Daniel Day Lewis and what he did on set. No big surprises. He had himself locked in a cell for a couple of days. He asked everyone to abuse him and throw shit at him and scream at him, and he Lost wouldn't drop pounds. the Belfast accent no matter what. Yeah. Which is, is one of my favorite accents because everything they say is a question. <laughs> yeah, a great, uh, I, I hate writing it down like this, but hey, a great normal performance by Daniel Day-Lewis that he's not, but it's not his real accent either. So, but nope. in, uh, yeah, but just it's, he's not playing a completely over the top character again. Um, <laughs> no, he's a fucking slacker dirtbag. That's yeah. all he is. He, he can't get a job. He can't hold a job. And there are really opportunities and so we're going to hang out with some hippies, I guess. And seemingly apolitical, like to be caught up yeah. in this as someone apolitical. Again, this happens to all the time, people of color, you know, but this, it, it's so odd to see English speakers very mad at Irish people, but it, it, it is, it genuinely yeah, is like, uh, but yeah, it's, 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 I'm so glad I was able to catch this this time. Was this, did this stream anywhere? Did I have to get this through? I forget where I got it. Because I do recommend In the Name of the Father. Jared, you seen it before? I didn't have time, guys. I'm sorry. No. That's, yeah. Fair enough. Now, yeah, this is a, a ridiculously solid movie. Um, nominated for, I don't know, like six or seven Oscars. Doesn't win any of them. Yeah. But but I understand why. Like, you look at the competition. I didn't. Okay. I didn't. I just saw that it won nothing. And like, these were all really great performances that typically always win Oscars. What the fuck? Yeah. Well, Daniel Day-Lewis, he won a couple of years ago for My Left Foot. He's like up against Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. Mm, right. So, yeah. Right, right, right. Understandable. And then, I'm sorry Oscar that- two I, years in a row, right? No. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I'm sorry. I do not have an ad for the next movie mm-hmm. because- not one of them has anyone talking. They just have giant bulls bucking over and over yeah, again. Same, like, hold on for the ride of your life. Because okay. that's the attraction. I guarantee yeah. you, no one in 1994 was going to this film for the dialogue. Well, well, this is what's awesome. It's also an awesome time capsule. We had one a couple months ago. We never talk about Beverly Hills 90210. But it's mm-hmm. huge, and everybody from the show gets a shot at starring in a movie, and this is Luke Perry's. Mm-hmm. Uh, eight seconds with Stephen Baldwin and Cynthia Gibb. So it's it's also capitalizing on, look at this dreamy, sideburned fellow <laughs> from your favorite Beverly Hills 90210 drama. Well, uh, I mean, as roles go for these guys, this is a smart one compared to what Calendar Girls that we talked about. Holy or shit. Is directed by the guy who directed Rocky. I know. Albelson. Al- 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 writing. Yeah, Karate Kid, Rocky. Uh, 
incredible. The guy writes a lot of the same types of movies, except this is yeah. this one goes a little. I haven't seen this in a long time, but it is about a real person who is no longer alive by the time the movie comes out. Oh, because bull riding is dangerous. Oh, I was gonna say yeah. dumb. It's dumb and mean and cruel. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But it's the only. I mean, reason. yeah. It, if someone if someone tied yeah. up your if someone tied up your balls and then tried to sit on you, you'd be mad about it too. Yes. Constantly <laughs> mad about it. Every time I fucking Brock tune myself. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> either that or you'd be super into it, which would just be weirder to watch. Well, I'm getting there. If the bull was like, yeah, <laughs> I'm complacent. <laughs> I don't think any of us so would I, know uh, about the eight second rule without this movie. That's uh, so I grew up going to the Pendleton Roundup, which is one of the biggest roundups in America. Uh, my mom's from there. Uh, we go there uh, every roundup. Uh, they take the entire week off school in September. Uh, the city goes nuts over it. So I was exposed I to the never heard of culture. This. From a, oh, it's awesome. Just Look a big up Pendleton fucking rodeo? Roundup. Big fucking rodeo. If you're going to go to one rodeo in your life, go to the Pendleton Roundup okay. for real. Really big, really huge. I, the most exciting point for me was to go around collecting all the beer cans people dropped, yeah. get the five cent deposit at the Hell time, yeah. Did the same and then thing. use that money at the arcade. Hell that was yeah. like my nice. thing. Uh, but uh, yeah, rodeo is an intense sport. They take it really seriously. Um, it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. I've ridden mechanical bulls. I've never ridden a real bull. Because I get bucked off those mechanical bulls in like five seconds. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. have you ever tried one of those things? Yes, yeah. but very drunk and no one was keeping yes. time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I, 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 maybe three seconds. Yeah. But also, it's there was a certain amount of like, I don't want to do this. This actually hurts. Okay, bye. Yeah, this, this already <laughs> yeah. hurts, and I have to fall eventually. It's not yeah. over until you fall yeah. in mechanical bulls. Yeah. But in terms of the movie. Is this Luke Perry's best film? Uh, pro- yeah. Like my my knowledge of his <laughs> his his resume kind of begins and ends at Oz and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is such a tiny role. Like I just didn't. Yeah, follow... That's not really a Luke Perry movie. No, though, no, I, I, guess, yeah. I, I, I can't name this, another one. This is Buffy. Oh right, he isn't Buffy. Yeah, I guess he's fine it's, in that. It's yeah, I guess it's Buffy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he just he never quite broke to uh, to film. That's too bad because yeah. like he's one of those guys that turned out. Oh, he's actually very good. Yeah, actor. he was he was great. And Oz is like the best performance I could think of from him. Oh yeah, he was great on Oz, mm-hmm. but yeah, never quite crossed over. Is yeah. they tried. Yeah, this, this was this, their yeah. attempt to try to make him a big big guy, but it just never went anywhere. Yeah. And I, yeah, this, I couldn't see whether or not, I don't think, I think this was mildly successful, but like, mm-hmm. if you're our age, this ran on HBO like every day for two years. So it was like pretty unmissable. I imagine through those airings, it has a lot of fans, but I didn't get a chance to revisit it because I never liked it in the first place. But eight seconds is out this week. And then lastly, we got Clarence Williams III, Abe Vigoda. Just let's pause and delight that they're in the same movie together. Uh, <laughs> Theresa Randall, Michael Wright, and Wesley Snipes in Sugar Hill. From 20th Century Fox. You don't hurt my brother. 
and I'm gonna take your whole family. The conflict. Don't come here pointing your finger at me, Romello. So who do I point my finger at? The drama. The decision's already been made. Time for me to flip the script. Of a man, an empire. This is the flavor that they say for up here, neighbor. The epic struggle for power. I'm not scared, man. Wesley Snipes, Sugar Hill, rated R. Start. Yeah, I not only did not see it, I didn't even see it in the dock for some reason. Sugar Hill. <laughs> uh, so I watched this and I'm a fan of Wesley Snipes. Sure. I oh, think yeah. he's a solid actor. He makes some weird choices in the roles he picks. I mean, mm-hmm. that motherfucker is always choosing to ice skate uphill when it comes to picking parts because <laughs> this <laughs> this is such a melodrama. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. every time there's a chance for this to be serious, they just go for the biggest playing to the rafters bit like and and that's just not my thing you know I, I i have a hard time getting into it when it's that unreal and it's seems like it's trying to be real like okay he's doing a deal with some nigerians and instead of it being a business decision where they tell him over the phone they have this big meeting at a nice restaurant where the Nigerians decide to use the Nigerian equivalent of the N word. Oh boy. To mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just like, you really didn't have to go there. This was just a business deal. You, this could have been an email guys. Yeah. <laughs> this could have been a polite email. <laughs> See, I'm kind of surprised that we're talking about this in 1994. Cause this feels like a 1991 Wesley Snipes kind of role. Cause it like, sort of, sort of is. I mean, cause it's sort of like new Jack, but not good. It's from the writer yeah. of new Jack. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I put it. New Jack, but not good. Yeah, yeah. Even though, like, New Jack has some very silly moments in it, but oh. it is it is ultimately very enjoyable. This the the temperature on this seems to be melodramatic silliness, and I, I'm not. Yeah, we're we're trying to wring the drama out of it, but also have it be, you know. A, a gangsta movie and uh speaking of which big recommend for american fiction this year best yeah. picture nominee there is a scene where they're talking about it's you know this this tv network for february we're celebrating black stories and black voices and it's just every gang movie we have talked about <laughs> with people getting shot. ricky gets shot chris rock smokes crack yeah. all of the scenes that or we Pookie. keep talking about in these movies <laughs> it's like black stories Poor Pookie. Yeah. Oh. Poor Pookie. Ricky. Sugar Hill. Sugar Hill. um, Recommended? What do you think, JR? I recommend the Sugar Hill Gang. Definitely not. (laughs) Not. Not well reviewed. Not recommended. It's not not even good, bad. It's just bad, bad. Mm. Yeah. A shame. A shame. shame. But there's a light at the end of the tunnel with TV. Uh, not starting with CBS's coverage of women's figure skating 30 years yes. ago. The, um, this was the fourth highest rated event in TV history at the time. Really? Before this, only four things had topped this coverage. And one of them is Tiny of Tim's of wedding? Probably. It is. Yeah. It, <laughs> Nash finale and Tiny Tim's wedding. Tiny Tim's wedding. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. We've talked about the Nancy Kerrigan thing. We've talked about the Tanya Harding thing. Her ex-husband's getting prosecuted, and she's got to go out there and skate. And it's it's Kerrigan versus Harding. 
That's, it was that's the whole fucking thing? crazy. It's like after the OJ trial, if an arena football league signed him to a contract and he <laughs> had to go play, of course everybody would be watching for a week. But that's all the figure skating competitions have. So why not? Yeah. And so it's a big deal. And like Tanya screws up. She goes over to the judges and is like yelling about her. Says, Something's wrong with my laces. And it's like that. Uh, the, the equivalent of a meme back then. of just like that picture I've seen a thousand fucking times. And you know what's funny? None of Neither of them get the gold. Yeah. Nope. Oksana Bayul from Ukraine. Suck it. <laughs> Silver's not bad, okay? Nancy no. Kerrigan got the no. silver. That's a huge accomplishment, but yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Tanya Harding plays, I think, eighth. It's like, yeah, again, yeah. but you're in the goddamn Olympics. I mean, that's fine, but... but... Now, wait a second. Everyone like, uh, stopped to watch this. How Everybody. Did... Because, like, how was she not somehow disqualified? Or... It takes time. They have to, like, find some, like, proof, and eventually... We'll talk about oh, it. Right. She does get kicked out of professional, but you can't just be like, this seems suspicious. We're going to kick you out two days before the Olympics. Yeah, my, my, we played some audio that was later down the line from this where it's just admitted yeah. to and everybody admits to it. And mm-hmm. But that hadn't quite happened yet. The on, investigation was still well, going. Tanya Harding's official position is that she has never known about it. That's She's maintained that to this very day. Other people have different positions but uh, like yeah, almost everybody else says she... <laughs> yeah mm, yeah but yeah. i mean and also just as an aside for figure skating fans they were very happy because this is the first time they've allowed professionals to compete because right. usually the olympics are you know amateur sport it's also we just had a winter olympics two years ago but this is the point where they change it oh so my that god winter olympics are every other two years we don't have summer and winter olympics of the same year anymore i forgot all about that i forgot that i lived through that it was very confusing as a kid because yeah. i've only seen like yeah. three olympics at this point and <laughs> wait, right. what? So, the- oh, we're doing it again because it's either that or wait six years which isn't really fair so let's do, do two years so yeah so like katarina vitt comes back torval and dean come back these like all of these <laughs> old school skaters come back to compete too so it's like skating fans were happy but probably kind of annoyed because like you guys are just here for like the stupid drama and I just want to watch ice dancing. I mean, as a result of the ensuing controversy, these are two of the most famous people in the world in the figure skating competition of the 1994 winter Olympics. Holy shit. Of the 20th century. I I think (laughs) these are like easily the most famous uh, ice skaters of the 20th century. I cannot name I mean, another figure what skater. other ice skaters have gotten a big budget movie about them? No. I can big only... recommend for I, Tanya, by the way. The only person oh, yeah. I can name who I saw figure skate is Jason Priestley in SNL. That's it. That's all I got. Mm. Back to our 9 or 2 and oh well. Yep. Oh, speaking of sideburns, Elvis Stoiko. I loved Elvis Stoiko. That oh. guy was great. Oh, of course. Who could forget Elvis? Me. Uh, but You missed out. He was cool. <laughs> Moving on into more late night drama. Later with Bob Costas ends giving birth to the tiny chrysalis that is later with Greg Kinnear. This was filling a niche that no one else filled until podcast. This was just one guest, yeah. super long interview. You know, if you were a big fan of Harrison Ford, which I was in 1994, I was like, oh boy, Harrison Ford's going to be on The Tonight Show. Five to eight minutes, yep. maybe, if I'm lucky. But on the later shows, they'd be like, well, let's just talk in depth the whole time. Yeah, let's pull yeah. a Dick Cavett and talk to one dude for an entire hour. Exactly. And and Costas is honestly a really good interviewer. Totally. I mean, he comes out of sports and all. But, yeah, he was really he, very good at just asking these, you know, kind of insightful 
good questions that open up to a larger conversation. Kinnear turned it a little bit more into a more regular uh, kind of talk show. Who's like coming, coming off a of talk he's, soup? The... He's still doing talk soup. Oh, he shit. does both. Wow. He does both while also trying to make movies. Is that a prerequisite? He's a busy, busy, busy man. Um, yeah, and he's very likable, affable. He can get people talking to. I mean, he's Not our own. As much as Costas, though. He's our only late night talk show host to be nominated for an Oscar, <laughs> like a, an true. actor Oscar, for real. Yep. But then, as David Letterman yep. once said, uh, hey, Paul, having a show at one thirty is a lot like not having a show. Uh, so, <laughs> but I mean, imagine hey. how well what Jr. just described would have done if people could have watched it anytime they wanted or even had DVR. You yeah. just had to be up or set a VCR to see yeah, this shit. It starts at one thirty. One thirty in the morning. Some of us work swing what? shift, and one thirty is when we get home. Okay. <laughs> Is a pre- I appreciate yeah. there's actually something on TV in 1994 that is not, you know, an infomercial for the Thigh Master. There's something I can actually watch and enjoy. See, I, I this is my height of my late night, and I was all in there for Conan. But by the time this hit, even my bundle of 15-year-old energy was yeah, like, dude. guys, I can't watch this anymore. I'm just going to bed. I never was able yeah. to stay up past one until Mario Kart came out at a slumber party. <laughs> that was that was it. I'd never I it was I couldn't stay up that late at fourteen. Uh uh-uh. uh. So yeah, I rarely ever saw the Greg Kinnear show. Definitely never saw Costas. Ah. Well, yeah, they're both pretty good. Did he leave to go do his Olympic hosting duty duties? Oh, maybe. I, I know he's he's that. done that like Probably. a couple times. Leaves yeah. whatever he's doing to go host the Olympics somehow. Yep. Well, yeah, they'd bring in guest hosts then, though. They wouldn't swap so, the whole thing. Well, that's got to be a cushy gig. It's a pretty good gig. I can't believe that this next thing exists, and I don't remember it. Me neither, because I feel like I remember a mini North and South miniseries. Right. The original one in 1985. Wow. I was so 85. bored. So bored. So, yeah, basically a nine-year epic to tell this story. Yeah. So, North and South, book three. It's here. We're going to learn about Reconstruction and the Klan. Not well. <laughs> this one, you know what this does not have? It does not have Kirstie Alley. It does not have Patrick Swayze. And it sure as shit does not have Johnny Cash's John Brown, which is what is in the first one. And that's why it's cool. I, Dude, I have no... <laughs> not really. Not actually. But Johnny Cash's John Brown is pretty fucking great casting. <laughs> uh, oh. On to the things I definitely was watching. Uh, the Simpsons, Deep Space Homer. Mm. And I, I love all of, right. of all This the... is a contentious episode of Simpsons. How? This is the one because this is when they are no longer a suburban family. Yeah. This is when hold, they can hold, do hold anything. The I like to bring this yeah. episode up because everybody loves it now. All the complaints about it are Homer gets a dumb job. It doesn't get much bigger than going to space <laughs> and nobody batted yeah. an eye. That's like. 15 years worth of hindsight that people criticize it. Nobody was criticizing this episode at the time. Okay. Matt Groening criticized this episode. <laughs> Did he? It's on the DVD commentary track. He is low-key simmering over this episode like 20 years after it was made. He, he was very much like, this is the episode where I kind of step back and uh, just let the Simpsons go to Wacky Town. Let the kids because do what the they early want. seasons, he was very much, these are... Uh, Normal family, normal things. But once you go to space, where do you go from there? 
I don't know. You know, I, it's no coincidence that Frank Grimes brings this up later on and says, you, <laughs> you went to space just to drive home to the audience. How crazy. That being said, I love this episode. Hilarious it's episode. hilarious. Yeah, th- this quote has stayed with me for 30 <laughs> years, and I think of it on so many people. So many people, I'm like, oh, you would work for the ants. <laughs> <laughs> We're just about to get our first pictures from inside the spacecraft with average, not Homer Simpson. And we'd like to... Ah! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've just lost the picture, but uh, what we've seen speaks for itself. The Corvair spacecraft has apparently been taken over, conquered, if you will, by a master race of giant space ants. It's difficult to tell from this vantage point whether they will consume the captive Earthmen or merely enslave them. One thing is for certain, there is no stopping them. The ants will soon be here. And I, for one, welcome our new insect overlords. I'd like to remind them that as a trusted TV personality, uh, I can be helpful in rounding up others to toil in their underground sugar caves. <laughs> so much, so much one would have to impress on that little piece of footage where Homer on a spaceship rips open a bag of chips, crashes into the ant farm, sending ants... I do love my favorite quote, other than the rod stuff, is, careful, they're ruffled from a real astronaut. (laughs) 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 That was his best take. (laughs) But, yeah. I I think if you have a problem with various Simpsons episodes going super crazy, just make it your headcanon that Homer was actually poisoned by the Fugu, and this is all his death dream. Sure. Every there you go. 36 yeah. seasons after, it's, these are death dreams. And I, I, that is an impressive death dream. I hope that when <laughs> I have my death dream, it lasts for 33 years or more. Oh, yeah. At, at $300,000 an episode, that'd be great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have, have either of you had Tang, though? They talk about Tang in the episode. Yes, I've had Tang. It's fucking terrible. It yeah. is not good. I think I watched this episode, and... I was at my grandma's who had lived next to this really bad supermarket. And I think only because it's a bad supermarket did they carry Tang still in 1994. Yeah. And I tried it and I was not impressed. It's gross. I mean, it is, it's orange juice flavored Kool-Aid. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of how you describe it. Yeah, it's, it's gross. I'd rather drink Metamucil. It tastes about the same. And yeah. one of them, you get something out of it. <laughs> Oh, my God. See, uh, I mentioned my diet grape soda from earlier. I discovered the Forgotten Grocery Store last week, and holy Ooh. shit, this is where all these brands still live. Oh, my God. <laughs> whole aisle of Tang. Uh, but, yeah, I, I uh, love this episode, and it's probably a good segue, because like, I would argue this is no sillier than the Cape Fear episode in terms of implausibility, but I remember yeah, I'd written a paper on like The Simpsons kind of after season five more embracing its idea that oh yeah we're a cartoon and can do fucking anything so why not and there was a i think a very good overlap period there with the realism of james l brooks and matt Groening, and the writers just want to do something nutty one of the things i appreciate about the critic is that it launched in a surreal form that the simpsons took a little while to get to with really fun cutaway gags and impossible things happening all the time. And this week mm-hmm. on The Critic, uh, we got a great episode, A Little Deb Will Do You. Uh, the yep. first episode, uh, written and directed by a woman. Yep. Um, In all of TV history, the first animated episode Jesus. written and directed by a woman. But it is airing against 
Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding skating. So it nobody fucking watches. Man, <laughs> I, I can... don't think I watched it in the first run, and it's such a great episode. Totally written and directed. That said, it yeah, the Snowman yep. wouldn't count. I don't think she wrote it. The first episode of The Simpsons is written by a woman who'd never write another episode, but no, nice. not directing it. But yeah, oh, it's so much fun about yeah his younger sister and how his mom wants her to become a debutante because that's how, <laughs> that's how things are done. And it's like, oh well, she doesn't want to do it. She has your will, I guess. It's like, well, she might have my will, but she doesn't have my gun. And you know, goes to uh, says she's going to shoot her shoot horse. Her she horse. doesn't go. <laughs> so awful. It's so dark. <laughs> and it reminds like how much she, I love the depiction. Convince her. I just love and the depiction this... of Jay's parents, though. They're great. Oh, they are the best. Great characters. Yeah, I, I mean, how do you come up with a crazy old man and an evil woman and make them both comedy gold every second they're on screen? Yeah, and you screen. keep Jay Sherman mildly Semitic by being adopted, yet she clearly loves him as much as she does her <laughs> biological daughter, which is almost never, not very... Very unkind yeah. woman. Like, well, I mean, she does back off on the threatening to shoot the horse as long as she eats this apple. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I did wonder, like, um, you know, there was, we just talked about the Lisa Simpson Malibu Stacy episode. And this could have, mm -hmm. if the critics weren't as surreal and more gag oriented, it could have reached like a you are Lisa Simpson because it had something to say about something I'd never heard of. I'd never heard of debutante balls. Uh, they still happen. I, I guess. I don't get it. Let's hear what it's about from a clip of the critic. Yeah. Say cheese. Debutante balls are outdated, elitist, and sexist. You said so yourself in your review of Boys in the Hood. Yeah, I was really off on a tangent that day. Can't you hear me? That has really also good... stayed with me for 30 years. That's just, a... just whenever someone goes totally off on a tangent, I'm like, you're mentioning debutante balls in your review of Boys in the Hood. Yep. And, and almost any time anybody's like, you did this really funny thing on this episode that wasn't in any way about what I'm complimenting you about because that's what podcasts are. Uh, and then thank God we have... I think at the time, the dirtiest joke I'd ever heard in animation, and if you've seen that Dana Carvey show documentary, like, this is on after Home Improvement. Like, how did, <laughs> how did this go over? It, I, it went over my head, like, the first three times I watched it. But mm. uh, at the time, I thought this was the dirtiest joke in network television history. It's so good. Go on, shoot. Uh, oh, is it Margot? Was that her name? Yeah. Margot being uh, fitted for her gown for the debutante ball. Here's the skinny. We dressmakers have a very strict code, so I need to know, do you deserve to wear virginal white? Because if you don't, you'll have to wear an off-white, what we call a hussy white. So which will it be? White white? Yes. Um, except for the gloves. Holy shit. <laughs> Holy shit. Holy shit. Just because, like, I remember seeing the first masturbation joke ever on Herman's head maybe a few mm. years ago. But the Simpsons never went... Um, is that a masturbation joke? That's what I want to... 
No. No. It's, that that's is a, a heavy hand job joke. Okay. That's, that's a heavy petting joke at minimum. Okay. She's, I thought he's touched a peen. I thought I thought it could be both, but at the time it, the time it clicked with me, I'm like, oh, she's talking about. Oh goodness. Yeah, I'd never. Simpsons would never sneak in a joke like that. How did the critic get away with it on ABC? And I have to imagine they just didn't see it, like I did. Like the same thing with yeah. me. Yeah. I, I there are so many jokes from the '80s and '90s where I'm just like the censor didn't understand that yeah. that's the only explanation yeah and it, it cuts away so fast that you don't have any time to think about it and so to be fair she's supposed to be like 16 that's usually when debutantes debut um <laughs> believe me when i was getting married i used the term hussy white <laughs> much because they call it different to off-white, bone, champagne. Eggshell. Like, eggshell. Like, no, hussy white. I want hussy white. <laughs> I want it to not be white. Also, because really white makes your teeth look yellow no matter how nice True. your teeth are. Yeah, have but, it look like, a, like an Old West wanted poster of white. <laughs> Give me that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> can, we, can we tea stain this maybe? Yes. Let's, I probably should have just worn a red dress. Like, that's kind of what I wanted. But, you know. Woo. You do things for the folks. Uh, anyway. And thank you for Hussie enlightening light. me, JR. The critic is streaming on Tubi. And because either a lack of inventory, no ads, it's very pleasant. Um, hey. Check it out on Tubi. Most of the episodes are also just on YouTube. It's true. Yeah. It's true. That's why I assumed it wasn't streaming anywhere because it just, it just felt, it, the critic feels way too unloved. And uh, I'm glad we're giving it its due. Which is weird for me because I just remember how much Comedy Central played. Yeah. Yeah. That show, you know, not many episodes, but they just played it over and over and over again. But well, oh my God, time I, passes. No one cares now. I have a proposal for you after off off Mike Jr. Uh, based on that. But moving on to games Ooh. of 1994, the 23rd of Feb through six days later. Don't make me do the math. Um, Captain America and the Avengers is out on Game Boy. Lame, the worst port of the arcade shouldn't shouldn't have even been attempted. No, shouldn't, and it's 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 like a lie because uh, the Avengers. It's fun to think about. Wasn't a household name at all at this point. People may have had some awareness of the Justice League. Iron Man was a D-list yeah. character. <laughs> he was not famous. I found him through this arcade game. Like, oh shit, he can fly yeah. and shoot. Repul- this is awesome. Uh, and I was reading a ton of Marvel comics. I knew who he was, but I never liked him until then. But uh, yeah, but it's it's named to specifically conjure the memory of the Data East wonderful arcade no arcade game. <laughs> but this is not that. If you think licensed games can't get worse, ladies and gentlemen, The Simpsons, Bart and the Beanstalk is out. These, yeah. these are some yeah. of the worst games of all time. All of the Game Boy Simpsons games. They are fucking awful. Okay, every single. Simpson platformer sucks. We agree on that, yeah. right? Oh yeah. Sounds that like- that makes me questions. What is the essence of the Simpsons that would possibly make it translate into a platform mode? Because yeah. I love the Simpsons. I love their humor. I love their characters. I love their stories. None of those are really essential in a good platformer. It's you're right. It's not impossible. It's it's like why there's no Ren and Stimpy game that works because they don't really. Everyone wanted to make the Ninja Turtles out of every popular cartoon that could be made into a game. What do you do with the Simpsons? The Game Boy games are still on like a level of like this should be this should have been illegal. There were too many of them, and they're so very very bad. Some of the worst music I've ever heard in my whole life. Um, and then 
but it gets better on Game Boy. I'm not don't mean to shit on my Game Boy because I did love that system. Ladies and gentlemen, Wario here at his first starring uh, role, Wario Land, Super Mario Land mm-hmm. Three, a absolutely bizarre decision. I'm very glad they made. Let's take let's take Mario out of a Mario game with his name in it, <laughs> mm-hmm. and have it star Wario. And who could forget this commercial? I know I. I Think of the spit trail in his mouth every time I think of it. You're getting very greedy. You are me, Wario. You're very handsome. You have amazing powers. Plundering village pirates' treasure. Bag of a zillion coins. Buy me a castle bigger than Mario's. Repeat after me. I'm the bad guy in Wario Land, Super Mario Land 3, where being bad is good and greed is good. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Love my Wario. (laughs) And and I love the- so I'd already sold my Game Boy at this point, but wow, this is in contention for best Game Boy game of all time. I mean, not game counting game. Tetris, which isn't you know unique to Game Boy, but this is a solid game for that little system. Yeah, Wario ended up being. I'm glad they didn't try and make Mario Sonic, but there are a lot of Sonic momentum based speed attacks that become what Wario platformers were, and they're like at least half a dozen good ones for Nintendo platforms. Haven't made one in a while, but you got Pizza Tower out there if you need to scratch that itch. Oh boy, Sega CD games though. Flawless. Um, (laughs) Flawless all of them. And Jurassic Park. Oh boy, Jurassic Park Sega CD. Mm. So this was like my dream. I was hugely into Jurassic Park and the idea of the Sega CD was that I could walk around Jurassic Park and you can for about 10 seconds. And then it's this stupid point-and-click gun game with tiny, tiny dino facts. And because I was so in love with the movie, I played the Sega CD over and over again, and I could never beat it. It was super hard, super obtuse. You never really knew exactly what you were supposed to do, and I couldn't ever beat it, no matter how high it how hard I tried. So I looked it up. This is the ending I would have gotten if I would have just somehow managed to beat it. I knew you could do it. If anyone could get those eggs away from Biosyn, you were the one. Congratulations. I'll see you when you get back. And thanks. Ooh, no, she, she gave you thank you, eyes. Jurassic Park <laughs> Sega CD. What an amazing ending. That was certainly worth the dozens and dozens of hours of wasted of my life I tried to get to watch that. I mean, I, I remember being disappointed by almost a majority of game endings, but they're not like movies because the majority of players never see it. So you don't want to put that much energy into it because there is one Jurassic Park game out there. The ending is a message from Jeff Goldblum. He's not in any other part of the game. It's it's a video sequence where he's playing Malcolm. That's your that's your ending. I forget which game. I think it's on PlayStation. Uh, and then also on Sega CD, we have <laughs> Who Shot Johnny Rock? Uh, this was one of the most expensive live action video games of all time. Its budget was $2 million. Wow. And this is the actors you get for that $2 million. Sweet talk, Johnny Rock. Sure, he used to sing here. I was going to make him a star. Why would I do him in? Do I look like I'm hurting? Maybe it was that weasel they call measles. You know, me and Johnny had something in common. Dynamite. Him on stage and me 
with the dirty work. And then somebody plugged him. Hey, not me. I took care of him. <laughs> Johnny Rock was good to me. I know this will be a risky case for you to take, but then I hear you're the best. This is fantastic. An all inglorious 20p full motion this video. Is, this is a light gun game? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But we're solving a murder. We're like, yeah. Amongst gangsters? Yeah, you, you, it's a noir light gun game where you're, you know, you private dick and you got to sling some lead to solve the case. It is a fascinating. Uh, an end to one of the timelines that they thought this is where games were going. People want mm. full motion, interactive full motion video, and Sega CD tripled down on that, and so did a couple of other American platforms. Not Japan. They showed us where CD technology would eventually take us, and it definitely wasn't very, very grainy fucking video with horrible actors. That And, and porno music. That's porno music. Yeah. That's, that's literally <laughs> what I was thinking, too. And But how about this? Comic books... We got two rays of sunshine. Um, I can't speak to the first one. Sandman 57, JR, the kindly ones? Yeah, this is the penultimate story arc. Uh, this is literally every single previous story arc, except maybe some of the one-shot issues of the Sandman, comes into play in this. Uh, Neil Gaiman gave his one-sentence summary of Sandman, the kindly one, says Sandman is given the choice between changing and dying, and he makes his decision. It's going to run for 13 issues. Uh, after that, there's a coda sequence. But this is the Sandman wrapping itself up. Mm. 57 issues, and then it's all being wrapped up from here on out. Hmm. Yeah, once I think I said it here already, but like I did pick it up, and for some reason I couldn't get into it, because it is, you know, if you're reading a bunch of cape superhero books it's a definitely different thing but that fucking netflix series was really good and i've heard nothing about a continuation of it i there were parts of the netflix series i love there were parts i rolled my eyes at but i so want a sequel i so yeah. wish they would do that but it was like one of the most exp what neil gaiman said was we are the most watched show on netflix right now and that might not be enough yeah, I mean it's 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 a property owned by their competitor. I'm I'm pretty sure it was just barely grandfathered in there, uh, and then also uh, Hellboy oh. number one hit this week. Woo! Mike Mingola. Um, yeah. yeah, Hellboy number one. Um, I wish I had more to say about Hellboy. I just haven't read that much of it. But man, I love that second movie. Something fierce. Mm. Ron Perlman, baby, will always be my heck boy. Um, yeah. And, and, yeah, I just, I mean, it's, I don't know how much of, you know, everything gets rolled out in this first couple of comics, you know, but him being, you know, part of like an, an X-Men team, basically, you know, mm -hmm. that he's, we got, we got a bunch of people with different abilities and then they go and they're going to fight, you know, satanic Nazi types. Okay. I think we're talking about the move first movie this year as well. So Ooh, 10 years later. Yeah. But, I mean, he's got a cool design. He's got a cool story. Seems like an interesting guy. Mm -hmm. He's got a red right hand to do. <laughs> and uh, with that, we'll close out the segments of 1994. 30 years ago with the mu music from 30 years ago, 1994. Power Love by Celine Dion is still number one. Uh, but new releases uh, include The Principle of Evil Made Flesh, The Debut of Cradle of Filth. 
Were they were they the ones in? Oh no, that was Cannibal Corpse and Ace Ventura. Uh, Gangsta right. Funk by uh, and Gangsta Funk by Five Ward Boys, Fifth Ward Boys. Jesus, I need a glass of water. We'll close out with In the Name of the Father by Bono and Gavin yeah. Friday. Well, I'm gonna give you. Give you a choice. We got the opening song. We got the closing song. The closing song, You Made Me the Thief of Your Heart by Sinead O'Connor is probably the better well-known one mm. that actually charted places. In the Name of the Father by Bottom Gavin Friday, I think, kicks off the movie really well. So I didn't watch the credits. So <laughs> Okay. Quick but- flashback. I was Googling this, trying to get a definitive answer. Netflix announced that it was resuming Sandman season two after the Hollywood strike uh, back okay. in November. Oh, so, so apparently it's still on. Great. Okay. It's good. It's the only Sandman well, you're getting. All right. Well, I feel like we have an opportunity to play Bono pretty often, but not as much with Sinead. So yeah, I vote let's go with Sinead. Let's go with Sinead. We talked about her in that incredibly long I'll Do Anything episode and didn't play any of her music, so why not here? Close out this segment with You Made Me the Thief of Your Heart by Sinead O'Connor from In the Name of the Father, but don't go anywhere and we'll be back in 10 years later. Stay right there. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. 84 is a hell of a year, listeners. Yes. And this is one of the films that makes 84 such a special year. I mean, I don't remember. I was very young and definitely not seeing this movie in the theater, but it's like I was there for the resonant success. Like, I thought this was a franchise that would be around forever, ever. <laughs> Everybody had a dog named Gizmo uh, for a really <laughs> yeah. long time. Uh, it's Joe Dante's 1984 Gremlins, of course, we're talking about. I, I just wanted to say this off the bat. If this is your favorite movie, you either have no taste or the best taste. Yes. Yes. Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Peace up, A-Town. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 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 Coming in with Yeah by Usher featuring Lil Jon and Ludacris. It's number one this week, and you might recognize them from the Super Bowl almost 20 years later. Exactly. Yeah. Pretty great when things line up like that, because I don't think those people's names have been on... Those those three people have not been on the name on anybody's lips in 20 years until this week. Or last oh, week. that's not true. I'm just saying at the same time. The same, same time. time. Unless you're listening I to that know. song, which it's still played pretty frequently. But that 20 yeah. years ago, it's number one, uh, February 23rd to the 29th. You also have some other new music releases, such as Death is Certain by Royce, The Five Nine, uh, The Hard Way by Owsley, uh, The Life of Joseph, W. McVeigh by Zero, Nude by Vast, Punk Static Paranoia by Orgy, 
Schizophrenic, the only solo release by J.C. Chavez of NSYNC. Uh, they were wrong, so we so we drowned by Liars, uh, The Wretched Spawn by Cannibal Corpse, and Schmack by Stereogram is all out this week. Uh, oh, wait, wait, this is a little bit of news. Hopefully this is the last time we'll have to talk about it. Continued fallout from Janet Jackson's Nipplegate. <sighs> but... Ooh. Justin Timberlake is not going to co-host the Motown, upcoming Motown blobbity blook. He is out as co-host because of his involvement in the Janet Jackson nipple. At least it's going to Justin Timberlake for once. Uh, for once. Jeez. That, is that the only thing that happened to him? I'm sure there was probably some other stuff. I, I bet he had some sponsors drop him or some shit. Like, uh, it wouldn't surprise me because people, again... Mm. I cannot believe we didn't have more to talk about 20 years ago. An accident happened on television. Everybody's fine. Let's relax. They didn't. Uh, yep. Also this week, the United States lifts a ban on travel to Libya. That can only mean one thing. JR has been there. No? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, ending no, travel restrictions. I have not been to Libya. Um, but yeah, yeah, this was uh, part of trying to normalize relationships with libya libya was going to give up their weapons of mass destruction program which u.s was very much in favor of and really wanted to encourage so this is just kind of like trying to ease things back into that please don't invade us i know you have troops nearby please don't yeah Yeah. accurate and then uh 20 years ago selma blair marries ahmet zappa carrie fisher's mansion in beverly hills they're together until 2006. Aww, uh, they, I wish I got married at Carrie Fisher's house. Me too. Me too. Cool. Or married at all. Ever. Okay. Enough about me. It's about movies. Yeah, too much paperwork. Yeah, you know, yeah I don't do want that. that. Uh, uh, I forgot to mention in the, the previous segment why we're talking about In the Name of the Father, one of the best films of 1993 now, because we're doing When Things Get Widely Released, because hmm. otherwise they're all at the end of December when two people could see them, this is when people could actually go to see In the Name of the Father if that's something you wanted to do. It's confusing. And, and we have more. We have, for the next couple of weeks, we still have, like, big movies out of 1993. Yeah, I think Sugar, Sugar Hill was one of those, too. It's listed on IMDb it's, as a 93 movie, but... God damn. Wide releases when most people could see them. It makes more sense that way, everyone. Yeah. Uh, 2004, though, these are not. These are, <laughs> these are dumped. Yeah, this is a this is the weirdest fucking week of movies ever, and I hate it. Uh, first up, we got a follow up to one of my favorite, just out of nowhere comedy films. I think one of the highest grossing comedies, just based on that, it cost nothing, cost mm-hmm. absolutely nothing. MC Ganey, Jordan Ladd, Brittany Daniel, Eric Stolhensk, whatever, Paul Sar, Steve Lemmy, um. Kevin Heffernan and Jay Chandrakesar. Why is that the one I pronounced correctly? Club Dread. <laughs> Broken Lizards Club Dread. Follow-up to Super Troopers. Oh, man. I don't understand why they made this movie. Because it's, you know, a slasher movie parody. But that's already been covered both by, well, Scary Movie, but also Scream itself. So, why? Yeah, yeah and then... Uh, it's, I mean, I, I just recently saw Shaun of the Dead to see another horror comedy. I revisited this as I'm, I'm behind Broken Lizard, even though I had a real rough time with Super Troopers 2. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, not a rough time. I just was like so bored. I've never been able to finish it. Like it just, I felt nothing. And, wow. But uh, we were all we were all there at least in love with Super Troopers, Club Dread, their yeah. horror comedy. I yeah, something about this seems so amateurish that mm. it, it doesn't work at all. And I love what do you call them? Like ensemble troop movies, like your. Christopher Guest movies where it's the same stable of people. Monty Python. Monty Python's probably a good example because like almost every one of those movies stars Graham Chapman because he is a good actor, straight, leading man. Did you this movie like ev- they try and switch. The villain from the Super Troopers is now the hero and the hero is now the villain. And like that's cool on paper. As is your act, your whatever you think your accent work is, but it's actually fucking terrible. Your accent work is awful, and the characters every almost every character they cast themselves as they cast themselves as they <laughs> miscast themselves. It, it doesn't work at all, and there's like not like gags in the movie. It's just mm-hmm. like I don't get they, it. They try. The biggest smile I got was when the Pac Man was being chased by the ghost. <laughs> I, that that was a little funny. I, mean, no, I just didn't do anything for you. I've heard. I well. I've I saw this as soon as I could. I was like, wow. I really didn't like that. And I did. I maybe revisited it one other time. And then you know, as with anything that's kind of a wild stab like this, it has its cult fan base. We defended Cabin Boy on this. It is which you know is you defended Cabin Boy. Well, it's I just not a great Cabin movie, Boy. but it's awesome. And. Uh, the movie has its fans, but I couldn't derive any enjoyment out of it at all. Like, and yeah, like I, I, I like just, but for broken lizard, it's just like beer fest and super troopers. I don't have a lot else to hang, hang my hat on with those guys. And, yeah. but, but I think I, I really like them being fuck around, fucking around as themselves. I don't really like this wildly different characters, accent work, I don't think they're, <laughs> they have the chops to do that, and I don't think that's mm-hmm. something their audience really wants to see from them. Goof off. Yeah. Be, be like 20, 30-year-old goof-offs. This isn't that. Great casting with... Uh, why am I losing his name? Because uh, it's not in here. Uh, who's who's dead? Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton ah. as Jimmy Buffett. And there's one joke in here <laughs> where like... No, he is coconut... Pete, he is very <laughs> pissed off if you confuse him with Jimmy Buffett. And yeah, yeah, I think he is by far the funniest part of this movie. In fact, the song is the only thing you need to hear from this film. There's one of the songs where like, this is a really toothless take. I don't think you know anything about Jimmy Buffett. And there's one song like, oh shit, okay, that's scathing. That's awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, it's not a fun mystery. It's not a funny movie, and it's not a good horror movie. I, I any other any other defense of this? Like I, I really couldn't get into it. Did no. I tried to give it another shake. Uh, I wish I could. Yeah. Try to give it another shake. Uh, also out this week, <laughs> the hilariously timed I prequel. Love uh, I love the story of how this got made. Is more fun than the movie. It's amazing. But... It's one of the few things I've listened to the director talk about on a in full for an hour because it's such a weird ass story. Uh, John Slattery sell award, uh, Ramala Garay Diego Luna, uh, in dirty dancing Havana nights, the prequel to dirty dancing. You never knew you wanted. It didn't originally written by wait, wait, don't tell me host Peter Siegel, Peter Siegel. And right. 
Peter Siegel, he wrote a serious movie based on someone he knew's experience of being a American teenager living in Cuba at the time of the revolution. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting story. Yes, the Cuban revolution is an interesting story and to have, you know, an outsider's perspective. Okay. And then this, it kind of bounces around for a while. And then like a couple of years later, they decide like, well, we could just turn this into a dirty dancing well, yeah, movie. I think the production company got the <laughs> rights. They got the rights to make a dirty dancing movie and like, well, we have this thing set in Cuba, which I guess there's illusions in dirty. I only I've only seen Dirty Dancing once recently, hmm. and there they he maybe mentions he was in Cuba. Patrick Swayze's character, yeah, I think yep. maybe. So there is. So I, Patrick Swayze's character is in this film, right? For two minutes, but for two minutes, <laughs> yeah. But I, I did look up that scene and like. The dude looks good. Like, it does not look silly because this is a prequel to a movie he made 20 years ago. <laughs> and, and But he still looks good and he's dancing. Yep. So yep. it doesn't look like he lost a beat. Yeah. So it, it is, it's not very good. It is, but it is interesting. Like, it, it is an interesting place and time to set, you know, a, a teenage coming of age yeah. movie that's just about sex yep. and dancing. Um, I will say also Ramola Garay uh, was one of the many people who me too'd Harvey Weinstein. Yes. She said she was 18. He said, you you want to get this role? Come up to my room. He's wearing a bathrobe. And she's like, ew. <laughs> yeah. But also like Diego Luna is so much fun. Like he's good in everything, mm-hmm. no matter how dumb it is. So. <laughs> Personally, I, I just loved seeing January Jones and John Slattery in a period piece about changing social mores. That was just a bit of a, oh, come on. (laughs) They're not allowed to leave that time period ever. No, sorry. You look too good in a suit, John. A little nice (laughs) Italian gray suit. Yeah, it's not quite a recommend, but it is like so much. It's more audacious than it deserves to be. I mean, really, if you're going to make a Dirty Dancing prequel or sequel, you're pretty much just remaking the movie. We know what you're going to do. And if you're going to set it in Cuba during the time of the revolution, have some cojones and yeah. show how god-awful things could get going down the path you're trying to go down. Because listeners, I attended Havana University uh, for a little while. Um, that's the Harvard of Cuba. Uh, if you are there, you're the child of a party member. Um, and all of the students I went there with are now like me, middle-aged. And given that they were the elite of Cuba in the year 2000, today they're probably in the Communist Party and they're probably cracking down on heads. And it's just hard for me to watch and not be like, you guys aren't really showing the truth here. You're not Mm. engaging with what actually happened very well. From, from either side politically, too. They're not showing how bad Batista was. No, no. Just, that's why yeah, it's just so uh, eh. nebulous. It's just like you chose this time and place for no other reason than you thought it might add a little bit of color, but you're not engaging with, with the time and the place at all. Yeah, no. I don't. I don't. I think the original script had a dance theme running through it but Siegel's like this script removes all the political themes and yeah. every line of dialogue I wrote I'm... and it, it doesn't even take romance 
very seriously. Okay, mm-hmm. this is 1959. This is largely the pre-pill world. Mm-hmm. She has sex at the end of the film. N- not a care in the yeah, world. You know, that, that's one thing I have about period films. It's the odds of getting pregnant if you are an 18-year-old girl are really fucking high. Mm-hmm. You don't have sex lightly before birth control came along. You don't. It was a totally different mental world. And they don't explore that because they're not willing to explore anything. Yep. I mean, hell, you could even bring back the abortion subplot from the original because there's a lot of rich people used to fly down to Cuba for their abortions when they weren't legal here. Mm-hmm. Come on. You could do... Yeah. I'm saying you could have made such a more powerful movie making any choice. Or you could have just made a light, dirty dancing sequel and don't set it in Cuba on the revolution. <laughs> I mean, ideally. Yeah. It's, it's disappointing. I would love to see a, a movie like the original screenplay. I wonder if he can get the rights back. Mm. That sounds interesting. Because, I mean, that's the thing is the dirty dancing is, you know, like so beloved, but it's actually like about stuff. Yeah. I was shocked <laughs> when I saw no. it about it's how much like it's about. It's not like the movie. It's about stuff. Yeah. It just has that stupid title. It's, so. it's, it's like uh, no one told me about all the pores and Jews stuff that is in here. And yeah. <laughs> it's in this movie about dancing. Exactly. Anyway, talk about dirty dancing. Just fucking bizarre. Thoroughly bizarre. And it, it. I'm only upset because it positions itself like Tokyo Drift, even with like a Vin Diesel cameo at the end. So we could have kept the series going in prequel form until it met back up with Dirty Dancing and Jennifer Beals' original nose, and then Jennifer Grey. (laughs) Jennifer Grey. Let's bring in uh, Jennifer Beale too from Flashdance. Let's I have a, a universe, dancing yeah. universe. Yes, they come. Yes, all the dancing the universes start combining. But not that one. Yep. <laughs> um, anyway, we have a theme this week that I haven't addressed yet. Let me tell you what. This next movie helps with our theme. The theme is people getting framed. We have so many movies about people getting framed <laughs> oh. this week. Oh my God. Not in the name of the father who fucking gets framed. This one, couple movies at the end of this. Everyone's getting, I, I didn't do it. You've got to believe me. Look at me. You know me. I didn't kill blank. Mm. This one's really if dumb. You, if you were to ask me, Chris, what's your, one of your least favorite sub- subgenres? I would say Ashley Judd movies. And they're, ah. they're all the same. Uh, and here we have one, David Stratham, Andy Garcia, Samuel L. Jackson, and Ashley Judd in Twisted. Detective Jessica Shepard is an expert on the criminal mind. There's been another murder. But her latest case... The crime scene is clean. What do the victims have in common? Just me. ...doesn't fit the familiar profile. Somebody has been following me. Is that why people keep dying around you? Because this time, all the clues point to her. The last person I saw him with looked like you. Ashley Judd, Samuel L. Jackson, Andy Garcia. Did you kill these men? <laughs> Twisted. Rated R. That's Friday, February. Twisted. Ah, twisted. <laughs> I got nothing. So, I mean, in some ways, it's it's similar to, like, Sea of Love, you know, that it is a supposed to be an erotic thriller where the cop, the, this person could be the killer, but I have to get closer to them, and it's erotically charged, I guess, because she plays someone with a drinking problem and a likely sex addiction, and all these guys she's fucking keep ending up dead. Also, her dad killed her family, and they killed himself. And also this, and also it's like, girl, everyone gets therapy. Why are you? Why do you have a badge and a gun? 
Jeez Louise. Yeah, it's uh, it's dumb. Isn't it at least it's a fun dumb. San Francisco movie for fuck's sake? Oh my god. No, they didn't even really use the city well. Mm. Yeah, well, I I was. Yeah, I was disappointed because like I I actually like Ashley Judd thrillers, and this is one where it's like they're trying so hard to make this so edgy, and like, no. Also, I have a pretty good guess who did it. I was wrong. <laughs> okay. Turns out I was wrong. That was my second choice. You know, which is another theme for this movie of like, well, it's probably that actor who's overpowered. Oh no! It turns out I was wrong. So, yeah, we got a couple fakeums this week. Ooh, Red Herring. Yeah, good Red Herring. So, no, Twisted, uh, that was pretty pretty I bad. I don't even know that you could call this odd trio of films counter-programming to the next movie, because I don't think anybody really saw what is about to happen coming. No. Ash Wednesday is usually not a big movie day. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it is this time. Um. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think people. But you know, we're not getting like a pillow talk to our Matrix Revolutions, or Matrix right. Reloaded, which is fun to mention because this movie unseats that as the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time, unadjusted. <laughs> uh, Mia Morgan, Morgan Stern, Claudia Guarini, Monica Bellucci, the only one who survived this, and Jim Caviezel. <laughs> <laughs> the Passion of the Christ. It's number of the box office and its dialogue is in Sanskrit, so no trailer for you. <laughs> it's Aramaic and Aramaic. some Latin and some Hebrew. No, we, yep. we there is no trailer that has anyone talking in even English of outlining what's going on. So yeah, it's the Passion of the Christ. It's just images. Okay. Now originally it was supposed to be spoken in Aramaic, Latin, and Hebrew with no subtitles, which I find really interesting. No. Yes. How would that? Wow. So you're going for just a complete visual thing? Yeah. Which. Would work, honestly, because if you don't know this story, why are you watching this movie? That is, yeah. Wow. I could see that as like a $1 million art film, but you couldn't get the budget that this film got and not have subtitles. That's that's just a no-go. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I, did did so... Mel Gibson kind of copla this thing into existence? Because it, it has a decent budget. Yeah. For a, a, a largely independent movie, $30 million. Yeah. No, no, he, he produced it. It's it's his company. Um, Right. Where to start with this? I All right. don't so know. So my, my personal belief, I think Mel Gibson is an anti-Semite. I've looked at what he's said. I've looked at his actions. I believe that he personally is an anti-Semite. I do not think this film is necessarily anti-Semitic. Well, okay, and I'm willing to argue with you. <laughs> I'm happy to well, part, part I, and parcel I with that. What I recommend right. is looking up uh -huh. what Mel Gibson's dad has said, who oh, is kind of an unabashed. But like this, it all suggests, and like I, none of us are really religious, and I'm not trying to be edgy or offend anybody here. This suggests a really unhealthy relationship with Jesus. Well, I well, think the okay, point... Okay, I think that, but, it's a... All right, go ahead. I was going to say, the, the point of the movie is to underline Jesus's suffering for humanity. And here's why I think part of the reason why I think there's a bit of anti-Semitism going on. Passion plays almost always end up leading to anti-Jewish riots yes. called pogroms. Historically speaking, 
that has been a big thing for like a thousand years or so you where you put on a passion play talking about the last day of jesus's life and people get really worked up and angry and they go kill the people quote unquote responsible right but i think watching this film i think it puts far more blame on the romans than it does the jewish community it's almost like they're to blame yeah, <laughs> yeah it does it puts a lot of blame on the romans because they're doing the hideous they're, they're doing yeah. the flogging and they're doing the crucifying yeah and they're taunting him and they're yelling and they're kicking him and they're being dicks yeah that that is true they're doing it at the behest of the jewish high priests who are whipping people into a frenzy right. and those right. guys love it caiaphas is getting off on all of this and we never we don't ever get an explanation of why like what is your what well, why do you hate jesus so much bro because this is my interpretation I think the teachings of Jesus are heretical to the Jewish religion. I think he was a heretic at the time. And I think ancient religions aren't known for how they love and respect (laughs) their heretics. Okay, being a heretic in a time when brutality was so common. It was so ridiculously common. Okay, for one thing, this is the Roman Empire. Uh, You know the gladiators? You're watching people murder people for sport, for fun. And that was something you took your children's to. Crime was on a level that we don't even comprehend. There was no such thing as a police force. Riots happened all the time. Bloodshed was common. This was a violent, violent culture. And the idea of, hey, this guy's a real troublemaker. He's speaking heresy. Why don't we just kill him? That was not a big thing. No, and I just, I would have liked that underlined in the film now most people's complaints about this actually you know let me go back even further for a jew i am overqualified to talk about this movie (laughs) because i wrote a giant dissertation on jesus depicted in film so anything before about 2000 i have seen it i saw all of jesus of nazareth the greatest story ever told and every version of ben-hur and just dozens i watched dozens of movies about jesus and boy, they kind of run together. So <laughs> this one, I give it credit for this one being different because it is really just about it's a physical suffering. It is a horror oh, movie. It's fucking gross. Yep. It just to but, be to be clear, I I pop this on like I've watched this twice. I never want to watch it again. And I'm just like I bounced. I bounced. Like I don't need. I didn't need to be a bigger expert, but I have yeah. vivid memories of it because it's fucking disgusting. Yeah, it is really, really brutal. But so here's the thing is that, yes, by focusing in on just his, you know, suffering and death without a lot of really, they don't really explain why he's being persecuted. That just makes it seem more like, well, because Jews are assholes, I guess. Now, to give credit, the tiniest bit of credit to Mel Gibson, who I also think is a anti-Semite, um, there, there was a line in there about where they're like, are you sure you want to kill Jesus? And and it's from the book of Matthew where the crowd, which is mostly Jews, says, yes, let his blood be on us and our children, which has been taken by anti-Semites for a very long time as being like, yes, Jews are collectively all responsible for Jesus's death. They took out the subtitle, but that line is still in there. You just don't know it's still there. And he did that because Jewish groups were all over him of like, yeah. are you fucking kidding me? Because if, if it, like, not to give too much 
context here, like there were rumors that Mel Gibson might be an anti-Semite. So there was there was a spotlight on this movie while it was being made. And how two years made. from now we have the arrest incident. Yes. Yeah. Where we we find out how he really And feels. you have the insane shit his his dad would say, giving you shedding some light on how he grew up. I would mm-hmm. again, not the expert Diana is. <laughs> I like the evil Jew I make up. That is real because those guys are shot <laughs> and presented like villains. And then yeah. we're shown the disastrous fallout of their decision. Mm-hmm. And it's presented in a language that nobody speaks to to be presented authentically. He authentically wanted to betray the Jews condemning Jesus to death and then show you the naughty thing that their behavior had wrought. I do think there yeah. is there's an anti-Semitic well, ribbon through this. Yeah, and I think because they give Pilate, Pontius Pilate a good scene of talking about like I, I'm between a rock and a hard place here. Like if I if I let this guy go, I'm going to have a rebellion. If I don't let this guy go, I'm going to have a rebellion. Like they give him some nice motivation. Everyone else not 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 so much. See, I, I has there ever been a great Pontus Pilate movie? I would just love to oh, be like love. in his mindset where he's just I'm a Roman, I'm ruling these foreign people. I got to try to keep all these things going. Who the fuck is this guy? What do I do here? You know, I think you could make a really fabulous movie where it's just him and it's him going out about his life and then he's got this, you know, decision that in mm-hmm. his mind I guarantee you the historical Pontius Pilate didn't really think this was going to like reverberate for thousands of years. That was not. No, he didn't think he was resetting time. (laughs) Good, good point. So, Um, all right, so let's get into some, I mean, besides like the philosophical stuff, let's talk about this as a movie movie. Mel Gibson's uh, an arguably talented filmmaker. I think it's a wonderful director and it pisses me off. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. As a movie, I think it did a great job of desanitizing the past. As I've already mm. talked about, the past is incredibly brutal. You know, mm-hmm. ancient battlefields, they were slaughterhouses. You were slipping on entrails, and you didn't have people just die all at once. They slowly died and bled out. They were horrible. And in our movies, we don't really see how god-awful the past was. And this does a really good job of showing you how god-awful the past was. Mm. Yeah. It's... He wasn't the only guy who had this happen to him, you know? Tons of other people forgot into history, got tortured exactly the same way because it was convenient to the people in power, and that's what they did. Like, oh, yeah, the flogging sequence is really brutal. Like, yeah, getting whipped is not fun, and it is Mm -hmm. really, really, and it goes on forever. At the time I watched this, I was watching the as hardcore horror movies I could find, and like, this is up there with that kind of brutality. It's fucking oh, yeah. gross. Yeah, and and I, I, I kind of I I see what they're going for, but I understand the complaint of like I don't know what his message is. I'm just seeing a guy suffer. She's like, yeah, that that's fair. There is one really funny thing in the flogging scene, though, that I, I did not know, because I've previously watched chunks of this. They ran it on Telemundo at Easter, dubbed into Spanish, with commercial breaks. That was <laughs> hilarious, because it's just, oh, the flogging, the horrible, oh, God, he's got to drag the cross, and then, like, an ad for Colgate. <laughs> like, right. Oh, jeez. So, Colgate. I'm like, oh, my God. But, anyway, um, no, in as the flogging film. scene. No, in the flogging scene though, what is so so funny? Because we see Satan a couple times, and he's like 
a bald dude who's all powdered up white. And and then we see him again. We see him early in the movie in Gethsemane, and then we see him later at the flogging. And he turns around and he has a mini-me with him. What the <laughs> fuck? He literally has a little person that looks like him that's all powdered up white. And he's like, yeah, suffer, Jesus. Yeah. When did Satan get a mini me? I don't remember that chapter. Yeah. He's Oh my god, I laughed so hard and it, that's not appropriate. <laughs> you know, I've read the Bible cover to cover and wow. I must have missed the point where Jesus invents the chair. Yeah, he invents <laughs> events tables and chairs. That was really yeah. nice of him. He's a great guy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as a movie, like, is it going to convince anyone? No, no, and that's. I think that's. Well, I mean, I mean no. there's the old there's the old saying, preaching to the choir. And as a film, you know, I think you got to take in mind this wasn't trying to convert anyone. I don't believe that's right. why it was made. You know, I think Hollywood is disproportionately non-Christian, disproportionately sex secular, disproportionately atheist. I'm not saying that as a criticism of Hollywood. I'm saying that's how I see Hollywood. And this was a film made by a man who had, for his own reasons, deep religious conviction to tell this story. And that's an achievement. That is a type of filmmaking. And he's not trying to convert you. He's trying to... I know, but it's... Also, talk to other people who share that belief. Its narrative is speaking an incredibly stupid language because it is essentially like, did you think you loved Jesus before? Dude, it was okay. way worse than you ever thought, and I'm going to show you all of it. He is mm. incredibly stupid language to you, but at the time, no, this it, was yes. so popular in the Christian community. This was huge in the Christian community, and it spoke to them. No, but it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's outlined it, to me its goal is to make Jesus seem way more heroic than you already thought he was. And I'm just not sure Jesus fucking needed that. He's doing great. <laughs> He's, his reputation has always been an all-time high. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I thought the most moving parts of the movie were anything having to do with his, his mother. His mother having to watch all this happen. Whether or not you believe he's the son of God, he watching his mother see this horrible shit happen to him and know there's nothing she can do about it. Like, yeah, Maya Morgenstern, I think her name is. Most of the folks in this, uh, are Italian. This is shot in Italy. It's very pretty. I thought the music was really good. Yeah, the makeup effects are great because they're disgusting. I just, uh, I'll talk about it in Classic Corner. I have recommendations that other stories of the passion that I think work better for. A wider audience but yeah i i understand that like this i mean besides it's not your daddy's christianity i can see <laughs> how that would reach people because a lot of christian entertainment is very family friendly and this is extremely not and yeah i i appreciate that and it's not even worth pointing out calling conservatives hypocrites over wanting to go see it and taking their children to see it because mm. I, I want to call out conservatives for the hypocrisy of this is what happens when you live in a theocracy. Yeah. Jesus was killed by a theocracy. We should not Very have true. government running religion. I'm sure they would. I'm sure American conservatives would respond great to a new deity, to mm -hmm. <laughs> a new son of God. Because uh, yep. that could never happen again, right? Why not? Why not? Why not? Uh, the only thing I, I like pointing out is that mm. Mel Gibson was a heartthrob movie star, and this changed 
his perception and not only the public size, but I want to thank the movie industry in general. I think it's great that JR pointed out, like, I think people were pretty weirded out by this. And mm-hmm. it had, and to some Christian's credit, had a lot of people showing up to movies who may not normally show up to movies because they did not see their needs addressed. And Mel Gibson doesn't work again as a movie star for like seven years. But he is, the movie makes a billion dollars. And I think the sole individual who took home the most of that was Mel Gibson. So he didn't have to and doesn't need to work anymore. But like also Jim Caviezel, who was just at this point an up and coming actor, altered his, I, I don't, I don't remember him sounding batshit insane when he was doing interviews for this movie, but he is now. And he he's own- been batshit insane for a while. The QAnon Anonymous podcast did a couple episodes about Jim Caviezel, even before he made the Saving the Children movie. This guy was always insane, yeah, and I everyone think, just sort of put up with it. I think he was, you know, born in the same kind of ridiculousness that Mel Gibson was in. And it's not calling all religions ridiculous, but, like, Mel Gibson's dad is ridiculous. and He, like, left America for Australia, I think, because of racism. Yeah. Not a good guy. Very comfortable with anti-Semitism. And he hates Catholics. No, no, he's Catholic. No, re- and, he hates regular Catholics. Re- yeah. I think these are Catholics that don't like Vatican II Catholicism and want the Latin liturgy back and But I think that's that it's, it's a really bizarre footnote in entertainment history that Mel Gibson, almost single-handedly spearheading one of the most profitable things in the entire medium, gets him blacklisted from the medium. Because... Well. No, it's not I mean, really it's, the it's, thing. It's, it's not, not really the thing that does it. I mean, it's but it's sort of. I think it sort of is. Big director and a direct apocalypto mm-hmm. in a few years. If you yeah. want to call that a big movie, sure. But like that did, yeah. and that's a. It's pretty fucking good too. It's it, a great movie it's, again, but another movie that's like it's in a weird time and place, and no one's speaking English. Yeah, but and it's still working. I, but Mel Gibson again, deeply weird. I I didn't notice it till South Park brought it up. How many of his movies end with him making a torturous sacrifice, not unlike this, to be the hero at the... It's like almost all of his movies end like that. All of them. Yep. From Lethal yep. lethal Weapons, Braveheart, Conspiracy Theory, he is always being tortured for someone else's sins. And it, again, I think he's, <laughs> he's a deeply warped man. Uh Thanks to a father like that, and he got to he got to make everything he wanted to do in a movie he was too old to star in. I don't th- I, I don't know I don't know if it burnt the passion out of him, because uh, but I, I think it changed. I think this movie helped change the perception of Mel Gibson in people's eyes. It, yeah, it, because if different. if you remember what happened, like the remember the new I, I meant to find some news stories about it. People are going for the tenth and fifteenth. They're buying tickets for their neighbors, and after this, we see a massive uptick in religious based movies because they wanted that same if it was some of the most grotesque shit I've ever seen like televangelists saying like this movie we've just put out you need to buy 100 tickets 40 tickets like mm-hmm. usually people like say that jokingly it was not a joke they were telling their followers to do that to try and and nothing the sound of freedom did the exact same thing yeah. there would be all these and then the conspiracy theories of like I bought a ticket online and it showed it was sold out and I go and nobody's there. It's like, yeah, because people bought tickets for to give to other people and they didn't. Go. I routinely go to movies at almost exclusively past 930 
I am the only person the of like an almost entirely booked theater every single time. It's one of the things I love most about reserved seating. People just don't show up to tickets they've already purchased. And I'm just, ah, sweet. Vape cloud in front of the screen for me. And <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah. I, I, there was no other film like this in my lifetime. Uh, and, and yes, The Sound of Freedom tried a little bit of that. But it was more like stick it to the anti-woke crowd where I don't think Christians were trying to stick it to us or even send a message. They were just reveling in themselves and, and what they believed. It was a nice riotous movement of filmmaking, but it's still like, it's still something I find incredibly disturbing because especially if you've been for 20 years, I've been hunting through DVD bins and this is everywhere. This is, <laughs> this is everywhere. Uh, it was, it was insane because like, uh, I'm not sure if there was an exclusivity window with certain Christian bookstores. They got to sell the movie, uh, just mm. lines like hours ahead of time to buy this movie afterwards. It, it's, and it's also like, one of one of the weirdest film trends Hollywood never bothered bother to capitalize on in any way. <laughs> Let's greenlight one religious movie. No interest. So you can see how people get conspiracy theories out of that. How do you not follow a billion dollars? <laughs> well, I mean, well, they, I think they they have lightly tried here and there, but I think it's just not wanting to. Uh, yeah, not wanting for mass of people to write something off as oh that christian movie you know i mean like how we wrote off at first the lego that lego movie why would i see that that's crass i don't want to. oh turns out inside it it's great and and if you're thinking of this just as as purely art i don't think even even the executives don't have a message like this that they're trying to drive home because yeah. they there's no test audience that you could <laughs> you could react to after testing passion of the christ so i feel like neither of you have heard that there is a sequel to this film in production right i now. did uh, yep yeah resurrection yeah. yep passion of the christ resurrection with the same actor reprising his role as jesus as jebus sweet Wait, a 50 year old so jesus i thought he was only in the in the cave for three days but it, somehow he's 20 years older sweet mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure they'll explain it. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure they will. Good yeah, luck with anyone, that. Does anyone recommend that took this? Twenty years. No, no, I don't uh, recommend this at all. Like, there, there, there's, yeah. there's, there's no universal appeal to this billion dollar movie, and that's what I think is really weird. It, it, there isn't. There, there's. This does not have mainstream appeal at all. It was, it was purchased by a bunch of people going nuts to see something they like represented for the first time in a mainstream way. But no, this isn't even like an enjoyable film. It, well, it's not supposed no, to be I, enjoyable. I mean, you know, Schindler's but, List is an enjoyable film. I still recommend that. Yeah, I but still, don't know if I recommend this or not. In a Honestly, yeah, in a time of I'm, this much white martyrdom, like white Christian martyrdom, fuck this. Like, don't see it at all. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm almost recommending it, but I mean, not really. Like I said, I there's not a lot here for non-believers to grab onto which there are in other movies about jesus right so for the widest possible appeal i'm gonna go with no but yeah. it is that's one of those movies that's just so frustrating because it is so well made but i just eh, it's not it's i'm it's, sorry it's and main the attraction. devil's mini me made me laugh so hard it's, it's main <laughs> attraction is like thoroughly unappealing 
And you, you can see why Mel Gibson couldn't get this off the ground anywhere else. Because, like, what the fuck, Mel? Why would anybody oh. want to see that? I'm still baffled why people wanted to see this. No. Well, like I said, yeah, saying your dad is Jesus. Usually it's just, you know... Ow, ow, we'll extent, plug I, him. Oh, no. I, I, don't mean to say it's un, I don't mean to say it's uninteresting. Because even like a $30 million anti-Semitic movie, I might try and steal that and watch that too. Because I want to know what the fuck these people are saying. But <laughs> anyway, I, I, yeah, recommend? You tell me. Yeah, no, I, I no. can't recommend it. I, I, no. I, I, yeah, I, I would not. Uh, well, with that out of the way, the movie... it. It almost unseats at the box office. Is about to have a little bit of success story. I feel like Jr. has been waiting for this for months. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving to television twenty years ago, it's the Academy Awards, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I, I have never been as excited to watch an Academy Awards as I was for this one. I was just on pins and needles from start to finish, rooting for my boy. Yeah, well, that's the thing. <laughs> I, I, I feel like it was like the Super Bowl. I, yeah. I, at this, I couldn't have been reading more entertainment magazines at this point. The feeling was like this: there's a film here that really needs to be rewarded, and it's been nominated a lot. And it's the the attitude I remember going into it: like Return of the King is going to do very well. I don't think anybody predicted this well. <laughs> no, no, no. I and yeah, and every single win is it's for the trilogy. We we can all appreciate that. Yeah. I, you don't give the award to fellowship and there's two more movies coming out and you don't know what's going to happen. And but that's, that's what I hosted tried to... by hosted by Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal's back. Y- yeah. And uh, yeah, Lord of the Rings is nominated for 11. It wins 11. That's which is itself. I believe a record winning that many. It's tie. It ties the record for with Titanic and Ben-Hur now as the, like, the like most Oscars of all time in this one Oscar ceremony, Lord of the Rings, as a one more Oscars than Star Wars as a franchise, and <laughs> yep, that sounds picking yeah, up right. a sound editing award here every every ten years or so, uh, and then yeah, a bunch of love for Mystic River, which I still am like I don't know, I enjoyed yeah. it more when I watched it this time. I enjoyed it more than I thought, but I still like I don't know. I yeah, don't no, it's it's know. good. Um, yeah, Sean Penn is really good. Is he better than Bill Murray in Boston is Translation better, or Ben Kingsley? I don't know. Is he better than Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow, which I did not remember being nominated for a fucking Oscar, which yeah. I think had he won with people watching, Oscar viewership would be different now. That kind of populist appeal, <laughs> taking home a mainstream award, could have changed the course of Oscar's viewership. Yep. But yeah, uh, yeah Charlize Theron wins for Mo- Monster. Tim Robbins wins for... Uh, Mr. Gribber, that's the one I felt like, well, that one's probably a lock. Um, Renee Zellweger for Cold Mountain. Fair enough. She's one of the best things in it. Uh, Sofia Coppola did win for original screenplay, making the Coppolas a three-generation Oscar family. Oh, cool. Yay. That's three generations, yeah. Her her granddad uh, worked on the music for Godfather 2. Oh, oh, okay. And won an Oscar for that, so... Yeah, it's uh, Coppola's versus Houston's. Uh, I want them to fight for generations. It'll be really cool. Finding Nemo gets an Oscar. <laughs> uh, our one of our favorite documentaries, Fog of War, gets an Oscar for oh, documentary. Hell yeah! I do appreciate. I think maybe Master and Commander's only win is for cinematography. Which, yep, yeah. I feel that one. I'm a little surprised Lord of the Rings is not nominated there too. But okay, 
Yeah, I feel like outside of some cold mountain here and there, our whims have been validated by this year's Oscars. Yeah, and, but everything, um, makeup, costume design, editing, special effects, sound mixing, mm-hmm. art direction, just fucking everything. Because everything was awesome. Everything you just <laughs> named, they nailed. Everything you named was the best ever. And when Steven Spielberg read this, I squealed. And the Oscar goes to... It's a clean sweep. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, Barry M. Osborne, Peter Jackson, and Fran Walls producers. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Just such a fun night. I I guarantee you, I will never be as excited to watch the Oscars ever. I gotta tell you, in Spider-Verse 1, that was just like my favorite movie of the decade has an Oscar. I was still, I was very, very happy. Uh, it won in the Finding Nemo category, but whatever. Uh, but I know, I know what you're saying. And just like, but yes, Lord of the Rings, I think it's, especially in an industry award, how could you not view it? The trilogy, it's all the same feat. It's, it was all the same effort and it yeah. didn't really get rewarded the first two years. Uh, the, the movies were out. You have to. No. Yeah. They got nominated for stuff. Ian McKellen is the only actor out of all of those movies nominated for anything wow. at all. Yeah. No, uh, no acting nominations except for him as supporting, I, which I, is fair because he's really good. I mean, I don't even see them as performances anymore. They're just the characters. They are just the mm-hmm. These are the characters that I like. <laughs> I wouldn't even be yep. able to judge. Uh, also on TV this week, The Weekenders ends. Big shrug for me. I don't know what that is. Uh, it's an animated television series. Been on since 2000. Uh, weekend lives of some middle school students. Oh, okay. And, That's fun. Uh, the, the Scrubs episode, My Screw-Up. Who oh boy. Oh. This is the most powerful scene in all of Scrubs. If... Listeners, there's no way to talk about this without spoiling it. So, la, 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 the next Wait. two minutes. I just have one question. This sure. is Brendan Fraser, isn't it? It is. Here's here's the thing. I was going, oh, no. I was going through the dock, uh, eating dinner with my lady, and I'm like, "Do you watch Scrubs?" Yeah. I'm like, "What do you think the most powerful scene in Scrubs is?" And she's like, "Is it Brendan Fraser?" I'm like, "I don't know. I, I did not see much of the series." But she she said the same thing. So it seems this is pretty uh, consensus is here. But I don't know the context though. She tried to tell me. I'm like, "I'll let Jay." Okay. Brendan Fraser was Dr. Cox's best friend. Dr. Cox is a mean person. He's very uh, Barbie, snarky, likes to be mean to people. Sean That's McGinley. his shtick. He likes Brendan Fraser, though. Brendan Fraser's character has cancer. He shows up at the hospital after going on a trip for a long time because he wants to see the world before he dies of cancer. Dr. Cox is like, we need to give you all the tests in the world. He gives Brendan Fraser uh, to... Uh, uh, another doctor. The doctor is very busy. Uh, the doctor comes and says, this other patient, patient X, has died. And then the rest of the episode is Dr. Cox working himself crazy. And it's only at this scene that we see he's been in denial the whole time and that his best friend is the one who died, not the other patient. I'm glad you made it. Listen. There's one more thing you have to do for me. You can't keep me from getting drunk. You have to forgive yourself for everything that went down the other day. (laughs) You're so annoying. 
Yeah. Okay. Good. Now where's your camera? Aren't you? Aren't you gonna take some pictures? Pictures of what? No. Crying babies covered in chocolate. People singing happy birthday to my son who have never even met him before. You know, the, the whole routine. Where do you think we are? And then it shows he's at the funeral of his best friend. On full autopilot, I guess. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I probably, I'm very ignorant to the scrub scene. I've seen like 40 unconnected episodes of scrubs so I, I i know enough about it to know the show and the characters a little bit but not the character this character in particular uh, but no, he only makes like two or three appearances yeah um, but it's a powerful one way to go scrubs how about some games though <laughs> not, so much to get excited about this week <laughs> things that people are playing such as romance of the three kingdoms nine nine wow. kingdoms now no. That's 27, uh, 27 kingdoms. kingdoms. <laughs> 27 kingdoms. Oh, and they're all romancing each other. It is disgusting. But uh, yeah, that is out for PS2. I wish I could tell you a single other thing about it, but man. It's a strategy game like every other Romance of the Three Kingdoms game. Even funnier for me is Steel Battle Lion. Steel Battalion. Line of Contact. The only game with a 200-button bo- controller gets a follow-up hell yeah and this is it that that huge massive 40 button lever and switches you got two games you get to use it on two games two games there's another game later on but it is it is much more disappointing and via connect we don't need 40 buttons we got the connect there's like 900 buttons in a connect uh if you have three arms and then (laughs) of course the topping it all off shay geek goth what is that really the Okay, that's the title. Okay, Shea Geek is this really, really funny card game you play where your goal is to collect geek points. And it captured a time in my life better than anything else because 2004, super nerdy. I have all the free time in the world, but no money. And in Shea Geek, you either have a good job, which gives you lots of money to spend on geek things, or a bad job, which gives you lots of time to spend on geek things, but you're battling it out against your fellow geeks to try to become the geekiest person, whether (laughs) you can be a better geek with lots of money and no time, or uh, lots of time and no money. I feel like I've been living uh, that game for like 20 years at this point. (laughs) (laughs) One side or the other. Uh, But Shay Geek, happy anniversary. I think we got to close out with Coconut Pete's Peanut Colada because yes. right. that's like my only thing I like really liked about the movie. A yeah. decent, like uh, Jimmy Buffett wasn't wasn't known enough by my generation to make fun of him as much as he deserved. Thankfully, I grew up around, I grew up across the street from his uh, bus guy, and uh, know a lot of annoying adults who like Jimmy Buffett. So hell yeah, Peanut Colada <laughs> Yeah, a very, very silly songwriter. Yeah. We'll close out with that. Uh, But stay right there. we got one more segment in the barrel. And we'll travel 10 years in the future. Don't go.
Hello, Mr. and Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner, where we go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of February 23rd through 29th, happy leap day. Uh, let's start with 40 years ago. There's a movie called Against All Odds, which is kind of a remake of Out of the Past, which is one of the best film noirs ever. This one's got uh, sexy Jeff Bridges, uh, Rachel Ward, James Woods, and it's definitely more well-known for the song by Phil Collins. Like, that is absolutely less than, take a look at me now. That's the theme from Against All Odds. It's actually called Against All Odds, parentheses, take a look at me now. Um, but the movie itself, yeah, that's pretty good. And, oh, Jeff Bridges was a snack back then. And, uh, yeah, like a, a watchable little, not less noiry, but more thrillery. Pretty good. And then, coming out this week, 60 years ago, 1964, oh, one of the most aggressively romantic movies ever, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, uh, the French fully sung musical. It is all sung, all the dialogue. And shut up, it, it works. <laughs> At first you kind of laugh, you know, as they're, as they're singing, you know, like, oh, here's the mail. Oh no, it's another bill. And and then like, you get into it pretty fast. It, it won the Palme d'Or that year. It stars uh, Catherine Deneuve. At her most stunning. And uh, Nino Castelnuovo, if you like La La Land, this is a must watch. La La Land stole so much from this, and he admitted it. It's not like he's pretending, but beautiful music by Michelle Legrand, so bright and colorful, and it's ah, uh, it is real. It's just it's very very romantic, very fun. And then I promised I was going to talk about since I've seen like fucking every Jesus movie. I don't know why I did that to myself. Film school, man. It just. Does, does things. But let me talk about, as a non-believer, which Jesus movies, like, worked for me that I think are better than Passion of the Christ. Uh, I'm going to start with the more controversial one, Last Temptation of Christ from 1988, directed by Martin Scorsese, written by Paul Schrader. Oh, good, the taxi driver guys are back! But they were both, they were both raised very, very religious, and that comes across in the movie, but it's also... It really emphasizes Jesus's humanity and like, instead of the physical suffering, the emotional suffering that he has. Willem Dafoe plays it beautifully. Harvey Keitel, I feel like he's a little miscast as Judas. I don't know why he's got red hair, but his, his suffering too, of like, he just knows he needs to die and he needs Judas to do this for him. And he loves Jesus so much he doesn't want to. It's really well, well made and like, I, it's a movie I felt like, oh, I understand Jesus more as a person now. Like, I I get it. I get the duality of man and Christ. Gotcha. And yeah, it's, it's also just it's a beautiful movie. It's really well acted. And then the one you might not have heard of, The Gospel According to St. Matthew from 1964. So, hey, this uh, came out in September. It almost fits perfectly. But Gospel According to St. Matthew, directed by Pier Paolo Pasolini. The guy who made Sallow 11 years later, he was a gay Italian communist. And he decided to film the Gospel of Matthew very literally. The dialogue is just from the Bible. He uses all non-professional actors. I think the guy who plays Jesus is a college student. And he does a great job. Like the whole movie is another one. Like I felt very moved by it. Like I understand the situation as a whole. I understand the people in it, how they feel, why they're doing what they're doing. 
and you know, it's 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 one of those movies where I watch. I'm like, oh, okay, I was not raised with Christianity, but I get it now. I feel like I'm understanding more. Not not really the appeal, but like I I understand why this moves people so much to you know be the huge basis of their belief system. So. Yeah, Gospel According to St. Matthew from 1964, Last Temptation of Christ, 1988. Which also, it does have some of the brutality in it, though. I mean, yeah. And also sex, which is why people got mad at it. Because there's some sexy times in it. But it's all in context. It totally makes sense. People who protested it were all people who hadn't seen it. Uh, I think it's absolutely fantastic. So those are my recommendations. Stay classic. Drunk on a plane. Coming in uh, 2014 with Drunk on a Plane by Dirk Bentley off of Riser. Welcome to 2014. Ten years ago, other new music out this week include the album Born Naked by RuPaul, Present Tense by Wild Beast, Helios by The Fairy, uh, Satellite the Fight, the, <laughs> the, fray. the Fray, my bad, my bad. Uh, <laughs> Whoever I offended, apologies. Uh, Satellite Fight, The Journey of Mother Moon by Kid Cudi, and uh, the self-titled album from St. Vincent, uh, Oxymoron by Schoolboy Q, and Louder by Leah Michelle. Dark Horse by Katy Perry featuring Juicy J is number one. Let's remind you of a little bit of news, uh, shit that happened in 2014. Uh, chaos erupts after the Swedish Police Employment Service mistakenly invites 61,000 people to, to a job interview in Stockholm. <laughs> <laughs> so I looked into it. Their computer system just looked, everyone who is looking for a job in Stockholm, Come on here in. you go. Come on in. And it accidentally... You got this one job interview. And, you know, it's 2014. Uh, the economy is recovering, but it's still not the best time. So I'm sure there were a lot of unemployed people who had been hurt by the Great Recession who are just going, yes! And some some shitty bureaucrat who was ready for like three meetings that day opens his door and it's like the American Idol auditions. Of- <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine like, well, obviously there's no parking, but like every train there, like every subway and every bus is packed with people. And you're like, gosh, it's really busy this time. Oh, we're all getting out of the same place. That's weird. What's going on? Maybe there's a there's a protest or something. Is that the line? <laughs> mm. I, I I want a movie. Yes. About the guy who got that job. <laughs> <laughs> wow, he's probably looked at like by people in the street like Inception, just constantly. Yeah. You motherfucker. <laughs> that was mine. That was mine. Uh, also this week, Russia moves troops into Crimea to protect its interest against Ukraine. Uh, okay, so here yeah. we go. This is the, the unofficial start of the war. Technically, mm-hmm. you could say it was last week when the Ukrainians got rid of the pro-Russian president. And they brought, they, they're like, we're having new elections. We're going to have a pro-NATO. We're going to be more oriented to Europe than we are to Russia. And Russia is so fucking sneaky. They dress up all their troops to look like, oh, no, we are just local Ukrainian paramilitary group. Don't mind us. And they take the fucking U- the, the Crimean Peninsula. And they're like, no, we're we're totally locals. So don't mind us. We're doing this because we don't like stuff. Putin 
flat out joked about it. He said, they're, they're little green men. That's what he said. Those were his words to try to e- make the invasion more fun, apparently. More fun. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Russia, Russia did give an official statement on uh, the action, though. The Soviet Union will be pleased to offer amnesty to your wayward vessel. The Soviet Union? I thought you guys broke up. Yes, that's what we wanted you to think. <laughs> uh, Simpson predicts everything. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, it's complicated. Where like the Crimea, it's a peninsula, and it's more Russian than it is Ukraine. But it is there's plenty of Ukrainians there. They end up getting very mistreated. They got to flee, and there's sort of a, like this weird stalemate for years, eight years yeah. until the, the real <sighs> real war goes for. And this is. For part of how I realized I will never ever ever be able to predict the future because I read up all about this at the time and one of the most persuasive arguments I read was Putin's whole deal he took the uh, Crimea from Russia from Ukraine and therefore Ukraine will have a disputed territory with Russia and that that is the perfect end goal for Putin because that guarantees that Ukraine will never join NATO because NATO we have to defend any territory. If you have disputed territory, mm. that mm. invites a whole bunch of things that NATO wouldn't necessarily want to take it. So it was a brilliantly written article explaining why Putin would never need to invade all of the Ukraine and having a bit of it just satisfied all of his needs. And it made the mistake of assuming that he would always make the smart moves and dictators often make really stupid moves at times because they're surrounded by yes men who tell them their ideas are brilliant and from what we can tell in the lead up to the ukraine war no one questioned putin no one was ever just like this is idiotic here's why that that is as far as we can tell a conversation that never took place it's a good way to take a flight out a window in most cases yeah (laughs) yeah yeah uh and and Sort of lighter news uh, as I lay dying as I lay dying's lead singer, Tim uh, Lambesis, sure uh, pleads guilty to fen- felony solicitation of murder, murder after attempting to hire a hitman to kill his estranged wife. He serves two years. Says okay. totally worth it. I, that, that last part was not, right. not true. Listeners, never try to hire a hitman. No. Okay. Hitman, as you see in the movies, pretty much don't exist. There, there are members in the mob who carry out hits, but they, they, they're not people you will talk to. Yeah, and that's for, just for part other of their mob duties. members. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. But the random, I'm the international hitman who works for hire. That's not a thing. That's that's not real. Yeah, you don't and, get to uh, walk up to a guy. Jr's got to go. He's got to go. He's got to go. <laughs> that's yeah. how a hit goes yeah. down. Yep. Yeah. I, I uh, love but, the stories of the the folks who created a website hire a hitman <laughs> as a as a joke. It was like had something to do with their web company, and people send them emails Ooh, and, and they forward them to the FBI. Wow! And Good. a couple of people yeah. have gone to jail. One woman tried to take a hit out on her small child because she was dating a guy who didn't want to be with a mom. Oh God! You, you don't have to go out of your way to look. Just do what I do. Twice a year, you wait for them to show up at your door, like like lawn guys looking. Hey, got any <laughs> got any hit services you need? 
Love See, that is the guy repainting the, the numbers on the street. Yeah, that's... <laughs> what yeah. the... F yeah. But no, there aren't hitmen. Just listen to this clip, though. It, it cracked me up. Accused of doing something very much against his religion, hiring a hitman to kill his estranged wife. Police say in April, Lambesis asked a man at his gym if he knew anyone who could pull off a murder for hire. That led to a sting operation in which the 32-year-old allegedly handed an undercover agent $1,000 in cash, a photo of his That's wife, it? and her security gate code. Police say he even supplied an alibi. Days when he would be away with their three adopt... A grand? Yeah. How stupid do you have to be? Oh, dude, doing a sweet swat squat here. Yeah, I'm really feeling the burn of these muscles. Do you know anyone who will kill someone for money? <laughs> just a, just make a conversation, bro. But do you? I think that's why, and, and there's sadly too many murder for hire shit in my orbit. And it's always like you you groom your worst family member, your most desperate family member, to become a hit person. That's how mm -hmm. you do it, and then you get caught anyway. Yep. Um. Uh, but they're a good Christian band, so you know. <laughs> it's true. They're a Christian metal band. I know. I know. Yeah. Um. And then now, time for the movies of 2014. Uh. 2014, February 23rd through the 29th. Uh, first up, we got Lenore uh, Varela, Ashley Summers, Willem Dafoe, and Anton Yelchin, and Odd Thomas. Odd Thomas, about a psychic? Psychic yeah, boy. Yeah, it's, it's an adaptation of a Dean Koontz book, which is like, the, they almost never go well. Yeah, what year is this? We're still doing that? It's a 2003 Jeez. book, okay. No, but that's like that's like television territory. That's where you make Dean Koontz material. Yeah, that's that's where I've seen them before. Um, yeah, he's he's a psychic, and he thinks this guy is going to do a bad thing, and then it's like, oh no, he's been set up. So it looks like he did the bad thing. Um, I didn't get around to it, no. and uh, yeah, reviews were pretty rough. I do okay. This is ranked. The number one Dean Koontz movie of all time. <laughs> what? Affleck what? was the bomb in Phantoms. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then that's like being the prettiest podcaster. A lot of, lot of, uh, the next up we have Sana Lathan, uh, Nicole Ari Parker, Mike Epps, Anthony Mackie, and Forrest Whitaker in Repentance. I barely heard of this where it's like a, a guy who killed someone in a car accident. Um, it's like trying to make amends and he becomes like a life coach. And then he starts coaching a guy who's like got problems with his mom died and takes the guy hostage. And it turns out like it's all connected. Mm. Yeah. The reviews were kind of meh, just a bummer. Cause I like all of these people. <laughs> I want them to be in movies together. So now Lathan and Mike Epps and Anthony Mackie. Yeah. Yeah. No. God damn it. And then, you know what else? I, For completion's sake, I was going to watch this movie, and then I decided oh, no, God the no. next one, because uh, on a theme, again, it's almost Easter. Exactly. They tried. They had the gall to try and set this up as a Christian movie, the, the 4th of July for Christian movies, because of Passion of the Christ 10 years ago, Roma Downey, Darwin Shaw, Adrian Schiller, Greg Hicks, and uh, Diego? Diego? Is that how you say his Diogo. name? Diogo. Diogo Morgado yes. in Son of God. Ah, uh, okay. This pisses me off in so many ways. 
because this is not actually a movie. This is just the Jesus parts of the 10-hour miniseries, The Bible, from 2013. Dude, that is Which, so... Oh. Chutzpah. Give him credit for chutzpah. I mean, has that ever happened before? Has there ever been a miniseries that had part of it released to theaters? Yeah, but yeah, typically not in America. They, they'll they do that overseas. Das Boot? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who, yeah? Yeah. That was a TV show, wasn't the it? The Scarecrow yeah. of Romney Marsh. Hello, Patrick yeah. McGowan. Uh-huh. Uh, but then the they, finale. They it, yeah, they cut it down to movie length. It just they didn't just take part of it and be like, "Here's the best part. It's the second half." I, I did see like ten years on. I was getting all these advertisements. I was barely paying attention to on Peacock, and it was a streaming service. And by service, I mean it offered one thing: a Jesus series, like subscribe to this app for one thing mm-hmm. um maybe theaters aren't your way to go especially not up against uh this movie which uh i tapped out of but not because it was terrible uh just because i had to go lupita nyong'o oh. oh i like this movie also lupita nyong'o who has like two lines give her a week or two she's gonna get an oscar for 12 years of slave wow here she is barely seen uh, I don't think I saw her. Corey Stoley, Anson Mount, Nate Parker, Michelle uh, Dockery, Scott McNary, Julian Moore, and Liam Neeson in nonstop. It is number one at the box office. Nonstop. How do you kill someone in a crowded plane to get away with it? I'm midway over the Atlantic. I'm the air marshal. There's 150 passengers and crew. It could be anyone. <laughs> Someone on this flight is threatening to kill every 20 minutes. Are you scared? Non-stop. Rated PG-13. Woo! Hot. I I must apologize when I teased the movies last week. I said this was Liam Neeson on a train. This is Liam Neeson on a plane. The Liam Neeson on a train movie has the same director, though. That's why I was confused. (laughs) I mean, if we haven't... Liam Neeson is on a plane. If we haven't (laughs) talked about it, I think Liam Neeson has the most, if not the most lucrative latter-day career. I don't know when it happened, but my mom used to go see him in Lady Stroke movies because that's all he was in, foreign stuff. And then he became an action star in his late 50s? Yeah. But the most bankable action star to me, and I was watching this and like, what gall? This is all set on one airplane and like for like an hour. Holy shit, a $300 million grossing movie that's mostly on an airplane. Good Lord. Yeah. It's Die Hard on a plane, man. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was very yeah. diehardy. But a U.S. Yeah. Uh, a marshal post 9-11, has to, one has to be posted on every, every flight. Is it still every flight? I don't know. But, uh, okay, that is one thing I, I was really surprised and happily surprised by this movie. I actually really like this because I thought, you know, it's it's not it's it's not deep or meaningful. It's very well-made action. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did enjoy it. But the fact that it is a movie about being on planes, that they address 9-11, yeah. which I, they never fucking do. Like, there is a point where, obviously, they think they're being hijacked. People get together and try to bum rush the guy. Because that's what we did on 9-11. And they, that 9-11 and its the failures of security ends up being part of the, the evil plan. But, uh, yeah, no, he's he's an air marshal with a drinking problem. He's drunk on a plane like Dierks Bentley. And <laughs> <laughs> or Denzel Washington. 
or Denzel Washington. <laughs> I picked that song on purpose. And um, yeah, he starts getting these text messages saying like, I'm going to kill somebody. And he's like, I can't ignore this. Like protocol says I have to do something about it. And then you're like, no, seriously, here's also, I know your family. Also, I know this. I know. I like, only, <laughs> I only like the, I had okay. it in my note. He tells a colleague, someone saying they're going to kill someone on the plane. That's ah, probably some joke. Who jokes with the U.S. Marshal? Hey, man, <laughs> just kidding. Mm-hmm. Uh, see you see at the bar. Uh, but yeah, yeah, there's a killer like, on the plane. Well, I mean, if that's true, it's going to be a minor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. It's probably, but, a, probably a Twitch yeah. streamer on the plane getting ultra swatted. Exactly. So, yeah, it's another one where it's like, you know, they, they, they keep the tension going. He keeps saying, like, you got 20 minutes. All right, time. We got a ticking clock tries to figure they come up with all kinds of different ways to try to figure out who is this person of you know 150 people on the flight which one is it things keep escalating and uh Liam Neeson's character though keeps brutalizing people though he is a terrible (laughs) cop he's an okay detective but as a cop he is yes he uses way more force than necessary on a plane uh, yeah and there are enough like Oh well, Corey Stoll is pretty well known. He doesn't seem to be doing anything in this movie. Is it going to be him? Surprisingly, no. Red herring. Like, oh, you red herringed me again. Mm-hmm. All right, you didn't have anyone who was like too big an actor for it to be them. Okay, good job. Just out of curiosity, are, your theory has ruined a lot of things for me, Diana. Are you watching I'm the sorry. new True Detective? <laughs> yes. Okay, just saying. Is it worth watching? I haven't watched episode one. Should I start it? Yeah. Okay. No, it it was really good, but I I thought they were doing that to me. Like, Top of the Lake, I called it the same way, where it's like, that actor is too big an actor. Why hasn't he been in this more? He pops up for four seconds every episode to do nothing. Oh, boy. I I don't want to spoil. I don't want to spoil. And it's not a spoil, because it's not what you think it is anyway. So Yeah, exactly. It's not... No. Anyway. It wasn't Doctor Who. Okay. (laughs) 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 <laughs> uh yeah but no i thought this is uh, this is what i was sort of like oh i try to watch every number one movie and i'm kind of rolling my eyes and i was like that was perfectly cromulent i had a good time right that's that's where i was going with it my only thing about it and it's not i won't even pretend it's a big nitpick how do you two feel about hovering text <laughs> on screen <laughs> how do you feel about it i like that depends i can it I, really I like, depends how you use it i like visualizing text messages yeah i don't in a more interesting way yeah. the, it, you, you probably I, I found it to be great in uh sherlock the mm-hmm. t- television shows mm-hmm. but it seemed like everyone started copying it after that mm. and i think it can definitely be overused you can see why just because it's pretty dull to film a phone interface and we all used to have get rid of our exposition by actually talking on a phone and no one we do that less and less nowadays. It's just in this case, it's like, is this a Sony movie? That's clearly not an iPhone. What year is this? <laughs> what, what? What? Why does everyone have this interface? Because it's not yeah. just a font. It's bubbles. Yeah. Well, I, go back I especially like that because I have terrible eyesight whenever totally. I'm supposed to be reading something. on a t- I have to stop it and get up and go next to the TV and read it. My eyesight <laughs> sucks. No, that happened uh, the other day in a movie. I'm like, ah, oh, damn it. And it's like, turned out, oh, it wasn't even important. But yes, please mm. visualize the text as huge as possible. Yeah, no, I'm blind. 
I, yeah, I'm old and blind. God damn it. Can I give you the dumb reason why I bounced out of this? This is really dumb and a total mm-hmm. dereliction of duty. Mm-hmm. Went thrifting with my lady, and we were even having a conversation. Like, other than Stranger Things, I am done with this fucking 80s, 80s nostalgia. I've had enough. Eight, mm-hmm. Well, 90s nostalgia, cool. 2000s, let's see how that looks. 80s nostalgia, I'm over it. It's now time for 70s nostalgia. Should I have no nostalgia for? And we're at a thrift store. And I find the entire collection of airport movies. Airport 1 through the Concord oh, 79. Yes. And she's like, I want to take a nap before we go to our friend's house. I'm like, boy, do I have... Look what I just got. We'll put on airport. <laughs> we didn't sleep a wink. Beautiful 70s movies. Lapels out to here. The browns and the beiges and the browns and the beiges. Just just a beautiful popcorn idiocy and then I, I i like within hours i'm trying to watch non-stop i'm like god damn it i just did this oh i suck at my job oh the airports are so dumb yes i i love them too that is such a dumb series there is no like highlight they're all dumb and then they get dumber i should i don't even want to know the answer to this i have a vision of being a little kid and watching a movie on tv where there's a plane trapped under the water and a guy gets out and has to swim to the top. I don't know yes. what movie it's from. It haunted me and it's horrified me and I won't look into it and I'm assuming it's one of the airports and I'm going to yes. find it organically. Don't say okay. yes. I don't want to know. I don't want to know, but it like it's. I thought about that scene like once a month for 40 years. I, if I remember correctly, you're going to now recognize the guy who swims out of the plane really? and be like, no, how Is it Jack Lemmon? I hope it's not Jack Lemmon. No. Yeah, that's one of the airport movies. <laughs> well, I got them all, baby, in double-sided standard definition DVD. $2 at a Goodwill. Couldn't be happier with it. Good for you. It's a all right. So, non-stop. yeah, nonstop. That's a recommend for me. Nonstop. Yeah, totally serviceable. All right, yeah. moving on to television of 2014, uh, February 23rd through the 29th, I think. I should check on that date. Uh, Growing Up Fisher premieres. Here's the pitch. Oh, Fisher Stevens, Fisher Stevens, Fisher Stevens. When I was 11, my parents got divorced, which made me like 50% of kids in America. Okay, tell me which tree to cut down. One kind of huge difference was... This one right here. My dad was blind. Growing Up Fisher premieres February 23rd. What? His dad's a blindie. Yeah. And it's J.K. Yeah. Simmons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, blind people should have stories told about them, too. But totally. this is just a cheesy sitcom. Very old jokes. Nowhere to go. If... If this had been made in the 1990s, it probably would have lasted five years. Oh, yeah. It would have done Everybody Hates Chris money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, Yeah, I mean, the narration with Jason Bateman there, I think I can tell exactly where they're going with this. Yes. Hi there, Wonder Years. <laughs> and uh, then in more late night newsery, uh, Late Night with Seth Meyers premieres. Yay. It, I, I was feeling eh about this choice because I, I am a late night person going back to the early Letterman days. We used to tape them and watch them later because I couldn't stay up that late because I was nine. But <laughs> I, I, I thought he was maybe too square or too straight for the late night because that's where the weird shit happens. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been pleasantly surprised by him. I think I can easily I don't watch any late night talk shows. I will, however, wake up and throw on the top monologues of almost all of them. And Seth Meyers is the one I look forward to the most. I, as a huge SNL fan, I was pretty absent during his Weekend Update. So I had no 
expectation of him that wasn't from Drunk Uncle and Stefan. But <laughs> he's emerged as a very, very comfortable, a very cool late night host. Uh, and I very much like his pieces. I think he said in the beginning, like, suit, monologue. He's like, I'm not a stand-up. I never did that. So now he just sits at his desk and what he likes to wear. And it looks so much different from the late night talk shows even that are still on it feels a little more relaxed and, and, and cool for that reason. And I yeah. only saw recently closer look is a, might be my favorite late night thing that happens uh, when the closer look is a segment on uh, mm-hmm. and it, like, how does, how does this rise above? He's like, Oh, it's, it's co-written by an actual news producer to give you huh. a, a shitload of context. So I know I've been trying to convey things to my dad rather than send him an article. I can show him a piece of a Seth Meyers thing because it's formulated like actual news. Uh, neat with jokes. Nice. And I just watched a bunch of the segments of jokes Seth can't tell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hang out. Yeah, two writers, one who's black, one who's gay. <laughs> they so, get they can tell the the punchline to the jokes. He's not allowed to because he's a straight white male. <laughs> yeah, it's like I, I like the those are really fun. I like the expensive goofiness of Kimmel, but like. Seth Meyers is a cheap fucking show, but it's just it's just very very joke oriented. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also this week we have a premiere of Mixology, a TV wow. show. Interesting concept. Honestly, I wish it could have been more successful. The entire thing takes place in a bar. What? But on one night, and oh, you see oh. all the stories in the bar intertwine, and all the people's events at the bar. But they're all having their own separate things, but they keep bumping into each other. It's so a it's show. the yeah. same and a show. Yeah, the same night told many different viewpoints. That's I a hard think pitch. Could have done something with that. That's hmm. a hard pitch. Uh, yeah, we have a trailer from that. Short fights for us. My fiance of eight years just dumped me. You want to know why your fiance left you? She left you because you're a sniveling little bitch. Oh my god, dude, he's crying. They're probably having a heart-to-heart. And maybe we'll win the lottery later and then get a ride home on unicorns that poop money. He's here. Interesting. You can even see it in the trailer. It's all a bunch of different perspectives. from diff- hard, to, hard to pitch that concept, though. I can see why it didn't yeah. take. Mm. And then lastly, and definitely not leastly, a weird but great episode <laughs> of Community. Uh, the season five episode, Bondage and Beta Male Sexuality. <laughs> and... Uh, I did not remember this one from the title, but the bondage should have tipped me off of, oh, right, Abed's just going to get handcuffed for the whole episode because he was a dick. <laughs> well, that's why I, I started, I thought this was a great episode, and I was yeah. even writing down lines that made me laugh out loud on my fifth rewatch. Have you ever met the kind of women th- that do like me? Neither have I, but I assure you they're bad people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> children with cleft palates need more food, not less. Uh, <laughs> another great line. Down to the ending of old-timey photo club Shining reference, fantastic. But the weirdness is Abed is behaving like Dennis the Menace, but out of context, you don't remember, like, there's no Troy. His best friend is gone. But I love all the interactions with him and Hickey and and, uh, my buddy Nathan, who we had on Laser. He's a very much related as as a editorial cartoonist. He's a duck and publishers are interested. Like... (laughs) It's one of my favorite things Mike Ermintrout has done outside the Breaking Badiverse. A really good yeah. episode for him. I uh, I loved that we got an episode on Ian Duncan because yeah. at the start, if you remember, 
the very first episode of Community. It was like him and Jeff yes. Winger were friends, and it was mm -hmm. like, okay, they're going to be. And then he just like disappears. And then in this episode, they kind of touch on, you know, we were friends. What happened? I thought, yes, it's funny, but it's also a bit of a nice little slice into how friendships can kind of just fade away if you don't water them. Yeah, especially mm -hmm. at, at their slash our age where they were kind of friends of convenience, but also you're in the same place every day together. Might yeah. want to play nice. Uh, I, I wonder if John Oliver was busy working on anything oh. that will debut later. Oh, my mm. God. And I, yes, it's that old. You are that old. I cannot. Look, we don't like discuss. I don't like discuss the present, but on this show... I can't wait to see what happens after the latest John Oliver episode. As part of me thinks, <laughs> like, you got to consider that at least. You have to consider it. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Boy, what a mockery that thing would be if he did. Anyway, good episode. Uh, then 2014 Games. Holy Lord. This is another, like, oh, it's been 10 years. Castlevania Lords of Shadow 2. The less than triumphant return to the Castlevania series and the last game that's ever happened 10 years ago. What? Mm -hmm. This what? is the last really? Castlevania? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, there might have been some re-releases, some anthology packs in there somewhere, but there's been no new Castlevanias in 10 years. Despite Jesus. the brand being, thanks to the Netflix show, being a little more popular than it had been in several other of the three decades. All right. So... Wow. Ending in the future, I think, is can be a cool stinger for a Castlevania game, you mm -hmm. know, and after credits, like, pow, now you're in the future. But having 50% of your Castlevania game be set in drab industrial science labs that makes it look <laughs> like every other brown shooter on the market, that's a branding mistake. That's not the Castlevania vibe. I mean, the, the, in Lords of Shadows was always a weird... Castlevania game because it was not never made as a Castlevania game. It was like kind of a oh. God of War clone that oh, Konami okay. then whipped the license onto and it was, uh, the first game's great and it kind of, you know, went three games, one in a portable and it's all she wrote. But ten years ago I, I, I could be wrong once again but I'm pretty sure that's the last Castlevania it, new Castlevania it, game that's ever It appears out. to be the last new Castlevania game the 30th. Why the hell don't they just remake some of them? Up-res Castlevania 1 through 4. Yeah, and just doing it with Silent Hill. Let the money roll in. Uh, you know, I don't want to stir up any ire, but you got to get to know Konami. They're not so much about making games as selling games uh, at this mm -hmm. point. And uh, also out this week, you have Fractured Soul for PC. Fractured Soul. I don't know. That was the name of my second album. That's all I can remember. <laughs> Pac-Man Museum. I wish I could distinguish this from the, the several billion Pac-Man collections, but I'll get them all. I always will. I, I will say, there is no video game old, as old or older than Pac-Man, which is better than Pac-Man to play today. Hmm, I'll accept yeah. it. Yeah. I'm a yeah. Big, a big... I, I do like Asteroids. But yes, you're right. And I'm a big Donkey Kong fan, but I think you're right. There's no other game that is so easily apparent how to play it and mm -hmm. fair yeah. that it that's my kids have played pac-man did they play forever no did they have a little bit of fun with it yes it works it's a simple great concept wow and i just out of fuck like force of habit every time we talk about something whether i've researched it or not i google it and i just typed in pac-man with my right hand on the other <laughs> computer <laughs> you can play pac-man in a google doodle to this day shouldn't mm -hmm. be confusing I love that um and then 
another mildly dormant series, Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare. The One of the weirdest things to ever happen to a series. Plants vs. Zombies, a, a charming 2D tower defense game that was then turned into a first-person shooter. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I hit the original Plants vs. Zombie at the exact right time. Yeah. I was a uh, first-time new father. It was a game I could play one-handed while holding a baby. <laughs> and then I got a break uh, from parenting my kids. Uh, my grand, my parents took my kid while me and my wife went away, and we had a long plane flight, and then we had a long ferry ride. And during that whole time, I was just 100% in the plants versus zombie universe. I was just <laughs> doing that garden warfare and I have such feelings towards Plants vs. Zombies to this day, but I feel nothing to anything but that first game. Like the 3D really first-person shooter, I'm like, no, that's not what I'm here for. And I'm, I'm Googling it. Like I was, for Valentine's Day, I took my uh, girl and her kids to an arcade and just walking in our case, like that's the art from Plants vs. Zombies. So was that. It was called like Ice Harvest, but it had all the art and characters from Plants vs. Zombies. I can't even Google it now. I thought it was called Ice Harvest. Maybe it was stolen art, but like that's how dormant the series is. Once Mighty, that's what happens with a corporate acquisition. EA sucking up PopCap. I'm sure they would have gotten a lot more mileage out of Plants vs. Zombies should they have remained independent. Uh, and then a game I know very little about in terms of a series, the reboot, re-release of Thief. Um another dormant series and a a well-reviewed comeback for a series I'm terribly unfamiliar with, but this also failed to gain enough steam to continue its course. Thief. <laughs> the Thief remake is now 10 years old. Hope that makes us all feel very old. And uh, yeah. with that out of the way, uh, we are almost done with the show. We're going to throw out some plugs, but and then we'll tell you who died during this uh, period of 30, 2010, and it's really depressing spoiler uh and do a little quiz you can play along with about who was born but uh this is once again where i tell you to go to patreon.com slash laser time just to support us sure but you also get hundreds of shows for your troubles extra podcasts comment full length uh feature link commentaries extra stuff helps us uh pay the bills thank you so much for your support um more stuff coming soon and always all right uh diana where can folks find you hey excuse me they can find me on the blue sky at listen a nerd l e c i e n e r d at bsky social whatever the hell it is. Next week coming up, we have Michael J. Fox is going to fight Kirk Douglas. Yes, <laughs> I'm a, uh, that's pretty fun. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is going to pull his first Oscar nom as a tiny tiny baby. Uh, let's Ooh, see, Viggo Mortensen's going to be on a horse. Why not? Uh, ben Stiller and Owen Wilson are going to remake a show no one asked for. <laughs> we have another prequel to a movie that doesn't need a prequel. Um, this one about what? Ancient Mesopotamia. Uh, but we are going to get uh, an animated film about a very smart dog and his boy Sherman. Oh, boy. And quiet. You we have very sad <laughs> deaths this week. We have maybe the saddest death ever. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bunch of but sad. before we get to the deaths, if that wasn't enough, yeah. next week, Chris's favorite USA Network TV show oh, of the 1990s makes yeah. its debut. Hell yeah. Woo! I know what it is. Separately, my favorite 
USA Network <laughs> TV show of the 1990 also makes it. Oh, JR high fiving for being a loser every Friday night. <laughs> Woo! I'm at home watching USA, baby. <laughs> we'll also see Mega Man's final NES game. On HBO, we meet the two Tonys. Oh. Yeah. Nice. And Matt and Trey's first good video game. Oh, whoa, that's mm-hmm. 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and with that out of the way, die. Gotta talk about who died during all Fuck. this. Fuck. Fuck this fucking week. Well, in 1994, let's let's go with the person who lived a nice full life. Uh, 1994 is when we lost Dinah Shore, who's 76. She's one of the most popular singers of the 40s. Then she became a TV host in the 70s. And um, you should probably go to YouTube and look up any time she interviewed Burt Reynolds, who was her boyfriend mm. in the early 70s, when she was 20 years older than him. And he is such a fuck boy. <laughs> oh my god because Dinah Shore like her thing is she's she's like uh very clean cut very nice friendly you know like a um like an Angela Lansbury type almost like she's just very you know sweet uh, Doris Day kind of nice lady and she's about to rip his clothes off they are about to go for it on, on the screen oh. <laughs> it is so funny uh yeah so Dinah Shore I feel like that was a, a pretty big talk show back in the day and that's kind of being slowly forgotten by people um anyway also in 1994 here are the two that fucking hurt that's when we lost bill hicks who was only 32 fuck you pancreatic cancer 32 we had him for barely 10 years as a stand-up i cannot believe how much older i got to be than fucking bill hicks and just it's it's insane I uh, seriously like he was f- like big famous for like five years. Yeah, and then and then he was just gone, and it was like wh- what? So Bill Hicks was. I mean, I guess he was the edgy guy back in the day because like he did yell a lot about political correctness, but it was in a in a more of a fun loving way than like eh, woke culture. Eh. Dennis Leary stole his act. A lot of his jokes, yeah. And there is no getting around that. He really. Sp- stole a whole bunch of us i love the the conspiracy theory that bill hicks faked his death and is actually alex jones that's 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 not true they do sound a little alike but no but yeah go look up some bill hicks he was so dark (laughs) so funny i was looking for his documentary but it's just on one of the i didn't discover bill hicks until after he had passed thanks to like Comedy Central not having a lot to air would air these UK documentaries about Bill Hicks where he was widely celebrated because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there's a lot of things, uh, material of his that won't age very well, but most of it will. And, like, if you remember stand-up comedy in the late 80s, like, it was very wackety-schmackety and there was a guy who, oh, who kind of cared about something and had a, mm-hmm. a different, like, a very a, a serious point of view with some very funny jokes very influential. He spawned so many annoying and just oh, unapproachable yeah. comedians. Um, yeah, they probably have stand-up specials called like, "Are you triggered?" Mm-hmm. Anything, yeah. If I ever do a stand-up comedy special, I have no material. <laughs> it's just going to be my regular face. Then I'm going to title it uh, "Tape Over My Mouth," and because <laughs> so many comedians with tape over their mouth on their album cover, gross. Um, yeah. No, he he was so good. Seeing like the reading up on him and saying, "Oh, he's very influenced by Richard Pryor," and being like, "I hadn't put that together." That's what it is. He's like a Southern white Richard Pryor. 
Uh, He's talking about Southern white stuff in the way that Richard Pryor talked about black stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, had like really the oddest whirlwind of fame right when he's about to die. And it just, yeah, just a very fascinating dude. I can't say enough cool things about Bill Hicks. But then 2014, 2014, we lost Harold Reynas, who was 69. Fuck you, inflammatory vasculitis. I did not know that's what got him. That it is terrible. You're, it's an autoimmune disease where your body attacks all of your veins and they all stop working and you die from multiple organ failure. Mm. Uh, this that fucking sounds blows. bad. It sounds very, very bad. Yeah, <sighs> it sucks. It sucks and it's unfair. And he's like one of the most interesting people <laughs> ever. Yeah. He's so interesting. The more you read about him, the more fast like, oh, sure. Oh, well, he wrote Caddyshack. Okay, that's interesting. No, 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 no. He's a very interesting person. Yeah, he's a, he was a serviceable comedic actor who became notorious for fixing comedy projects that go on to become absolute classics. I think, yep. I think rider-wise, adjusted for inflation, I think he's responsible for some of the highest grossing comedies of all time. And Oh, definitely. I mean, yeah, you know, Caddyshack, it, the Vacation Series, Animal House... Analyze this. Ghostbusters. Honestly, made a ton of movie. Ghostbusters, though. L- long term, mm-hmm. long yeah. term, I bet the movie of his that will last the longest. Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. Yep. Yep. And yeah. I am very happy to announce, just this month, the city of Chicago declared every February 2nd is Harold Ramis Day. Oh, that's so cool. Ah. Yeah. So, cool. so let's all get our glasses. Let's all kind of... Uh, Fluff up our Jufros. Let's all go to Chicago. Go to Chicago, visit the rat hole, and celebrate Harold Ramis Day. Hell Fuck yeah. yeah. Uh, really, really like Harold. It's just like we're talking about someone you might not have known those things about him, but you absolutely know who he is because he's Egon. He's yeah. Egon. Yeah. And yeah. 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 And honestly, I mean, as a writer, director, yeah, you can go back to watch all the early SETV stuff. Um, I. It's a couple of his movies that like nobody gives a shit about. Back to School is amazing. I didn't know it was his. I, he wrote that. I also I like his version of Bedazzled. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a lot. It's of a fun. decent remake. I, I his yeah. he said his favorite movie is Al Franken Stewart Saves His Family that he no made way. that he made, oh. uh, and I, that's that is a much better SNL movie than anyone gives it credit for. It's very good. It's kind of amazing. It's just, it isn't like Wayne's World or Night at the Roxbury. It is not that type of movie. Yeah. I will say it has the biggest heart of any SNL movie. Yeah. Yeah, by far. Yeah. So, Harold Ramis, go go watch a Harold Ramis movie. You've got plenty of good ones to choose from. Yeah, year one was disappointing. (laughs) I I got a couple laughs out of it, though. I'm not going to pretend I didn't. Our listeners came through for us in a miracle. I have been looking for the alleged like five hour cut of Caddyshack, what? the like original one that it was supposed to be like ridiculously long, and I've never been able to find it on the internet. So, dear listeners, if you have access to like the first cut of Caddyshack, which was supposed to be like five hours long, I would love to see that. I would totally watch that. I never want to watch the original Caddyshack again because of how many times. I was forced by my dad and Comedy Central to watch it. Yeah. But I not to say I don't like it. I just don't need I've had I would totally do that though. Just parts of Caddyshack I haven't seen. Whew. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but you, you got plenty to choose from. And as an actor, like he popped up, especially towards the end, where he'd pop up and, you know, knocked up or walk hard. Or... Seth Rogen's dad, the most perfect castering in the history of anything. Perfect. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. So, yeah, Harold Ramis, that one, that one stung. And I saw that. I'm like, come on. Yeah, it man, felt sudden still... for people who didn't know he was sick and yeah. led and to I a guess... fun Oscar moment that year. But Yeah, well, we we, we just talked about those, those Oscars of like, yeah. Or did we? No, no, no it's still no, coming it out. But, yet. um, yeah, uh, uh, that he finally, Bill Murray made amends after 20 years of not talking to him yeah. right at the end. And apparently, like, yeah. he he couldn't really speak. He was he was not doing well. And I guess Brian Doyle Murray basically yelled at his brother of, like, if you don't go do this and go say hi, go, go sit with him, you're going to regret it. So he got a box of donuts and a police escort to go to the hospital. Wow, <laughs> and went and and made up with Harold. So uh, I, yeah. I do love that Oscar moment, but it should be a cautionary tale. Don't make up with friends like that when it's too late. No, don't hold grudges. Uh, really, the message is don't hold grudges. No, nobody's got yeah. time for that. And I then, do wonder what we would have gotten twenty years of if they would have been friends for the last twenty years. What could they have teamed oh. up and to have produced? Probably wouldn't have had to wait as long for a third Ghostbusters. That's for sure. <laughs> no, maybe maybe we would eventually get that Confederacy of Dunces that he was working on. Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. the, the yeah, most Doom movie been. in history. Yeah. Well, so all yeah. right, all right, P two, absolute real ones. That's yeah. the way. What do we got, Gr? We have the b- b- birthday <laughs> quiz. Turning thirty. <gasps> A bebe. A bebe. Still. Born. February 23rd, 1994, in Connors, Georgia. Uh, She attended Montessori School. Her mother played tennis professionally, and her father was a minor league baseball player. Skylar Navratilova. No, okay, keep going. (laughs) Her acting career at the age of five. 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 In a small, know-nothing TV show known as ER. <laughs> what? She said it was one of her favorite roles. I played a car accident victim who has leukemia. I got to wear a neck brace and <laughs> n- nose tubes for the two days I worked. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, her big movie break was in 2001 when she starred opposite Sean Penn. And Michelle Pfeiffer oh, in I Am, I am Sam. Sam. Gross. Oh, is, is, it, is it Dakota Fanning? It is Dakota oh, Fanning. Oh. Yes. Other films of hers as a wee baby include Uptown Girls, The Cat in the Hat, Man on Fire, War of the Worlds, Dreamer, Hide and Seek, Charlotte Webb's Push, and Coraline, where she did the voice. Wow. Oh, right. I forgot about yeah. that. But she's, she's not... more. She's not Madam Wed. That's the other South, South Dakota. South Dakota. Um, <laughs> yes. Her her more adult roles, Life of Bees, The Runaways, Jane and the Twilight Saga, uh, Night Movies, Very Good Girls, Elfie Gray's Ocean 8, uh, period drama, The Alienist, and uh, Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood. Hollywood. Oh. Right. I get her confused with her sister so often. I was like, wait, is that the one yeah. who's on the grate? No, that's Elle. A squeaky that baby. Show, that show is crazy and weird, and I'm sad it got canceled. George but... is asleep because I fucked his brains out. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. She but we do have pour- we do have Man on Fire coming up, which mm. I really like that movie, honestly. So, yeah. She also portrayed the title characters of both Ally McBeal and The Ellen Show as young girls. Oh. Whoa. Okay. Like in flashback episodes, I assume. Wow. Plays the young version nice. of both Ellen and Callista. All right. Dope. Cool. Happy birthday, Dakota. Yay. Dakota. Uh, congratulations on being alive. Can't say the same for a lot yeah. of people out there we talked about in this being. episode. Yeah. And still, I mean, she's still kicking some ass. She's an equalizer three. I didn't even realize that. She, she's, uh, yeah, reteaming with Denzel. Yeah, Congrats. I was going to say, didn't he already rescue her? True. All right. Well, well, maybe he needs rescuing now. Have you thought of that? <laughs> He's old. <laughs> and that, that's that, the big twisted equalizer. Denzel barely shows up. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, that about wraps up the show. Di, what are we closing out with this week? Uh, we got to close out with the title track from Born Naked because we are all born naked and the rest is drag. <laughs> I thought about Sissy That Walk and trying to force you guys to like duck walk and poke, but I know you're not going to. Your knees aren't going to take it. So. No, not these days. Yeah, let's go with Born Naked. It's fun. Born Naked by RuPaul. That'll take us out. Thank you guys so much for listening. Patreon.com slash laser time. We'll see you next week. You know where you're going. Tell me one thing. Do you like where you're going?